Hailing frequencies are open. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Clear Skies, our Star Trek live play RPG here on Cute Times with the Stream Punks. Good evening, Stream Punks. And how are we this fine evening? How is everyone doing? Is everyone alive? Is everyone ready for tonight's Borg invasion? What? Yes. Great. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I let's. I want to pause for a moment and pat myself on the back in that I have been highly restrained in cracking Borg jokes this entire campaign. Good job. And I do that mostly because of the environmental impact that Sam Delev has upon the deforestation of trees and pencils. Um, <laughs> it's 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 gonna we're gonna be on the news if we keep that stuff up. So I'm gonna. I figured. I figured this is a way of saving the planet. So you're I welcome. I still have hundreds. <laughs> um, before we jump into tonight's game, does anybody have any announcements that they would like to launch into to inform the Ox crew about before we start? Yes, Aki. First of all, let's acknowledge that Xander did not raise his hand. I did see that. I'm not sure if I believe it yet, but I did see it. Uh, I have a, a couple of, well, at least one announcement. On Friday, uh, this upcoming Friday at 1 p.m. is the premiere of Chaos Initiative's Star Wars show, um, uh, Desperate Gamble. Uh, we are going to be doing our Session Zero character creation this Friday. Um, I still haven't decided which alien I'm playing, <laughs> so it should be good. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now, I'm now doing both of the, both of the big sci-fi franchise it should be fine I, I won't get confused everything's fine we're all fine here how yeah, are you we just need to do we just need to find a way to cross over star wars star trek doctor who and babylon 5 sounds to me like what what the stream punks need to do is another fundraiser and make that one of our stretch goals um oh oh i should tell you about the really good idea the klingon cast came up with if we ever do another fundraiser what's that uh battle royale Oh God! <laughs> a Klingon cast battle royale. <laughs> you mean just you the Klingon that. versus the Klingons? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because yeah. the Ross crew would be like, um, but we, would, uh, you know, you know what would happen? The Ross crew would hide behind McCrell. That's true. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Jane would uh, be at the. Front I could pheromone right like bar Barb Rage. You. Yeah, yeah, McCrell. yeah. <laughs> I, I, would like, I would just. I would just. Just like Berserker. I just stopped drinking tea for a couple days. I was gonna say, oh, just steal, okay. steal McCrell's catnip. <laughs> hide behind. We hide are behind all McCrell. support classes behind our one person. Yeah, exactly. That's what we do. We have a full champion. Of DPS, That's what we do. It's it's one DPS and a team full of healers, and just go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. All right. Does anybody yeah. else have any announcements that they'd like to make? Yes, Bunny. Sunday at nine thirty. I'm doing something. <laughs> Uh, it's a horror con, and I'll be in the doo -doo 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 -doo, mm. uh, a Camp Murder Lake comedy horror TTRPG. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I I know what it is. I will post it on the socials whenever okay. I find out. Fair enough. But I'm in it, I think, and it's in the morning. So Xander, guess he's waking me up. Oh, okay. Well, also, <laughs> someone has a new song that just came out. Oh, yeah, I did that yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, if you follow me on social media, I dropped uh, Lady and the Tramp. If I'm a cat here, but if you want to see me as a dog, a bunch of dogs, and a scary filter dog, please go check out my social media. I did a acapella version of the Lady and the Tramp's He's a Tramp, and um, all my neighbor's dogs hate me now. So, <laughs> ruh-roh. <laughs> and also, more to come. 
because I'm crazy and like to collaborate with people. Let's go. Woo. <laughs> um, let, let, let's just take a moment before we pass the mic to, to Xander to congratulate Xander on the retrieval of his Twitch account. Congratulations. Oh, Yay. <laughs> thank you. Thank okay. you. Yes. Uh, Xander, did you have an announcement tonight or did I? Oh. Did I no, but nope, uh, like, uh, let's see. I'm going to be playing Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood starting tomorrow on my personal channels. You're going to love camp. it. Oh, it's yeah? so good. I've, I haven't I, I've seen just, anything about it. It's so much fun. It, I just completed my second playthrough. It is it Whoa. is so, so fun, so flavorful, great okay. sound, great music. You're going to love it. It's okay, okay. it's it's essentially, it's it's Coteries and Shadows of New York, but Werewolf. And you're going to really, but it's a lot oh. more, it's got more juice to it. You get... You get health, you get willpower, you get rage. It's really cool. You're going to love it. That's okay. all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, anything else? Does anybody have any other announcements this evening before we jump back into Anything from Pixel Circus over there, Gina? Do you have anything going on? Um, We just did a one-shot uh, for the metal RPG Ragnarok. It's freaking oh, right. dope. Um, it's Ivan's uh, RPG, right? There's a kick, yeah, there's a Kickstarter happening. Go check it out, uh, Hunters Entertainment. It is, I love the system. It's awesome. Um, it's a fun game. It's really yeah. fun. Um, so go support them. They're really, really wonderful people. Um, and yeah, we're gonna do a part two because oh, yeah. it was so it, much it, fun. It was so much fun. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then yeah, uh, just uh, pay attention to Good Time Society coming up because things. Yeah. Uh, Ivan has been talking to me about that RPG since we wrapped up the, uh, Eric's TBD RPG. Mm -hmm. He's had that wow, in his head. Baby. He's had that game in his head forever. And uh, when when I was leaving GNS, he told me it was happening. He's like, we're going to do this. Like, he's it's awesome. Really it's so it. much fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Sounds good. Anything else from anybody? Uh, Sam looks like they're... Yes, Sam. Yes, I've talked about it before, so it's not new to anybody, but I just want to put in another good word for Power Play here on Sundays on Q Times. It is run by Rick Budd, Tempting Fate alum, and filled with just absolutely amazing people who astonish me every week. It is a very classic street-level superhero RPG story, and it is some of my favorite stuff that I get to do right now. And if you want the real pitch, Gina Guest's in it. So if you haven't watched Power Play, go watch. Gina DeViva's in it. <laughs> We should have made that our Streampunks campaign. <laughs> Streampunk! Gina DeVivo's in it. <laughs> no, but seriously, it was a beautiful time guesting, and everyone was so lovely, and they're very... Uh, it, it is a... I, I will also plug it, as it is a lovely group of people telling a really beautiful story. Yay. All right. If there's nothing else... Well, I mean... Evening. Tonight I'm a completely different alien... What, human... Uh, wait, I'm excited. Okay, that works. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies.
Welcome back. Let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies. So when we last left the crew of the USS Ross, they had returned home to Starbase One. They are currently in between assignments, having been sent to the Alpha Quadrant. Um, this brings to an end almost a full year of conducting operations out on the edge of space in the Shackleton Expanse. The Ross, having been promoted to the diplomatic flagship of the Federation, is being reassigned to the Alpha Quadrant and its first assignment is to rendezvous at Starbase 621. But in the meantime, the Ross has been undergoing a refit, both to her hull and to, <laughs> surprise, surprise, to some of the, the technical whiz-minded people on board the ship. Surprise, the EPS conduits are being upgraded. <laughs> so it'll require less maintenance on behalf of the crew. It will also change the trait that I as a GM can activate by throwing down threats. It can now technically I haven't really used that against you guys just yet. And if I can be honest, the reason why in no joke is because, and I'm being dead serious because Xander has done such a brilliant job making narrative points that they are upkeeping and managing the Ross in every avenue. And as a result, I, as a narrator, did not feel an opportunity to be like, nope, it's suddenly not working. Uh -huh. <laughs> because Chief Tech has been playing the hell out of Chief Tech. So Good to know. I'm just yep. going to store that away for later. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So well <laughs> done. Your performance review. Thank you. <laughs> Um, that being said, uh, with the Ross's promotion to diplomatic flagship and being reassigned, this has been an, a, a time for people to reconnect on Starbase One, for Ox crew to be able to get out on Earth a little bit, stretch out and explore the home turf before heading back out to the next tour of duty. Uh, as a result, there have been some crew transfers. Um, some Ox crew has transferred off the Ross, um, but for the most part, Everybody is sticking together, everybody is sticking around, and the Ross is getting ready for the next leg of her journey. And when we last left off, uh, we had some pretty big revelations that, if I can be blunt, some of the Ox crew has been asking me about, which I'm sorry, I can't tell you because that's Sam's storyline and you're just going to watch and find out. Um, that being said, there's a couple of things that are up in the air right now as the refit is underway. The Ross is scheduled to be in space dock for four weeks while her hull is refit and while the EPS grid is upgraded. That got authorized, and so things are moving forward with that. Now, in truth, four weeks to, to basically upgrade the hull of the Ross is an engineering feat unto itself. But to be blunt, Starfleet got really good at this during the Dominion War. Really good at this. They had to because the production facilities of the Dominion were unlike anything any of the powers of the Alpha Quadrant had ever seen before. They were able to upgrade and out and shell out ships faster than the Federation, the Klingon Empire, and the Romulan Star Empire combined. Um, as a result, the <laughs> Federation has gotten quite good at its own processes. When we last left off, Senior staff had sat down to receive a briefing as to what they could look forward to when they depart for the Alpha Quadrant. This will be the first of many briefings, but this isn't an initial introductory briefing. A couple of things were uh, revealed. First of all, Admiral Nollis Ree apparently has taken a personal interest and not surprising being the head of Starfleet Intelligence, or rather one of the ranking members of Starfleet Intelligence, 
has taken an active interest in what is going on in the Alpha Quadrant. No surprise there. Um, but also a special guest speaker to update the crew on what is happening in the Alpha Quadrant was called to the podium. One Elam Garrick, who started discussing exactly how it is that things, are, well, I should say how things are unfolding in the Alpha Quadrant right now. And we begin tonight's episode with senior staff having just spent the past 45 minutes listening to Garrick give a briefing as to what's going on. And to summarize, what the senior staff has learned is that currently the efforts that are underway in the Alpha Quadrant are being conducted largely by the Federation, but also by, to some minor extent, Romulan Star Empire. These are relief efforts. So the Romulans have actually engaged in, for lack of a better 24th century equivalent, humanitarian efforts to bring some relief to the devastation that has occurred along the borders. And this is being done mostly as a way of increasing stability in the Alpha Quadrant. Every major government in the Alpha Quadrant has acknowledged that Cardassian space needs to be put back together again. And that this is an opportunity for the Cardassian people to chart their own course, to shrug off the chains of the military regime that has been ruling over Cardassia for quite a long time now, and has been responsible for establishing the caste system there and the culture there. Um, this has not been met with enthusiasm by all of Cardassia, but by a vast majority of Cardassia. <laughs> There are still some people out there that acknowledge that the military, the Cardassian military was what pulled Cardassia out of a terribly impoverished state um, before Cardassians became militaristic and started basically taking things. They were on the verge of collapse. This rich and beautiful culture had dwindled down its resources and had been on the verge of collapse. This upset from the Dominion War is a chance to press the reset button, but not everybody's willing to let go. And that's what leads Garrick into the second part of his presentation, is that, as predicted, there have been incidents during some of the e efforts out there. The undertaking of supplying this side of the quadrant in supplying food supplies, replicators, medical assistance and reconstruction efforts means there are going to be vultures waiting in the wings for their opportunities to try and pick things up for black market sales, piracy, you name it. But right now there's a lot of weak people out there and a lot of weaker bullies that want to feed on them. And as a result of that, uh, Garrick has been informing Starfleet some of the challenges that the reunion project, his organization is currently undergoing. As he's continued talking to you all about this, it, it, I would say, especially with your expertise, Sul, and, and I would say Sul, Olin, and Exio, both are not, not, three of you are not surprised to hear some of the updates about people that are trying to take advantage of the situation right now. Um, I'll leave it to jane to tell me exactly how she's feeling about all of this but um but the but the rest of you this is not particularly surprising 
uh, every time there's a major relief effort like this. And this is one of the greatest relief efforts in history. Every major city on Cardassia Prime was destroyed when the Dominion ordered the annihilation of the Cardassian people in its last stand at the end of the Dominion War. That's just one world. The other worlds did not get hit as hard because thankfully the Federation, the Klingon Alliance, and the, the Alpha Quadrant Alliance was able to stop everything that was happening as it was happening when they captured the Founder. But Cardassia Prime is largely completely obliterated. And the reconstruction efforts over the past six years, while impressive, have only just scratched the surface. Um, in other words, the, the enormity of task a hand is going to take at least a decade. And y'all are only six years into it. And things are running behind because of the vultures and whatnot. Um, it seems like towards the end of his presentation, Garrick has basically informed you all what Starfleet expected him to say. And at the end of his presentation, it looks like the admirals at the table, including Re, are expecting him to wrap up so they can summarize and discuss what the Ross is probably going to be running into during her time in the Alpha Quadrant. When Garrick suddenly uh, pivots immediately and doing that clever thing that speakers do sometimes when they have something they want to just slide in there is without breaking a breath, immediately changes the subject to a new topic that seems to catch the admirals by surprise. This much is observable by all of you, um, except Re, who, Sam, as both as both a product of, of Re's species, but also his training, no expression. <laughs> Doesn't really show a lot of giveaway with the facial expression and just watches passively as Garrick suddenly says, there is one last thing that I feel the inclination to bring up at this time. There is, of course, the need for support from the Federation. As you all know, the Reunion Project is not the formal government of the Cardassian people. Right now, there is a provisional government in place, and there's not a lot of confidence in their administrative capabilities, despite the fact that they're all good people. That being said, the Reunion Project is looking forward to setting up what we would see as the first democratically elected officials of the Cardassian government, a new era for Cardassian people. But unfortunately, we would require the support of Alpha Quadrant powers. And so, while it may not be expected, or perhaps very expected, I stand before you now to formally, on behalf of the Reunion Project, to ask the Federation for its support in helping the people of Cardassia choose their own future. No, immediately, Nullis Re. Well, I'm glad to see you haven't changed. And Garrick smiles. What? Admiral Janeway, who's been sitting across the table towards the end, raises her hand and says, why don't we take a minute to discuss this, Admiral Ree, before we go making decisions? Admiral Ree glances across the table at you, Sol, almost like he wants to see what your expression is giving away from all of this. And then Garrick chimes in and says, well, I know when I've gotten involved with a fight at the family dinner table, and I'll excuse myself. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me, and at least in part, ignoring me. And he closes his data pad up and steps down from the podium, where Starfleet personnel escort him from the room. 
refolds his hands and says, there's not much to discuss here, Admiral Janeway. The truth of the matter is, is if we throw our support in behind the reunion project, the Romulans, and perhaps even our allies in the Klingon Empire might see this as puppeteering. They'll think that the Federation is installing its own government in the Cardassian people as a way of trying to claim the territory and the fragile diplomatic state that we are currently enjoying in the aftermath of the Dominion War will fracture again and again. Even with our updated support in the Romulan Star Empire, thanks to the efforts of the USS Ross and returning a certain admiral who would be an ally to our efforts, it would be giving certain adversarial elements within the Romulan Star Empire and other governments that would oppose the Federation's help, the leverage that they need in order to oppose our continued alliance. I know this is not a decision I can make unilaterally, but I can speak on behalf of Starfleet Intelligence that this is a bad idea, at least overtly. Go on. Well, we are sending the flagship of our diplomatic efforts to the Alpha Quadrant. Perhaps that could be enough. We supply the USS Ross for more relief efforts if needed, delivering medical supplies and being a presence in the Alpha Quadrant. I, I understand that Captain Sull has exercised their favor that was owed to them by installing ablative armor on the hull of the USS Ross. That quirks an eyebrow from, <laughs> from Janeway, and she kind of leans over and puts her elbow like, she does that Janeway lean where she kind of sits back into her chair for a second and looks at you and says, well, Captain, wish I could have done that on my ship, at least before we departed. Keeping my crew safe as you would have done, Admiral. It's a good call in my book, Ree says. If the Ross is going to be in the Alpha Quadrant and is going to be the voice of the Federation, I see no reason that she be equipped to also be a blockade if we need one, a defense vessel. We're not equipping her with quantum torpedoes. She still has the standard armament. She still functions as a diplomatic vessel. However, She's now tough as hell. And with that, there's a small grin underneath Bree. That being said, perhaps the Ross entering the quadrant will be enough. At least for now. Janeway seems to think about this for a moment and says, it seems like a rather anemic response. Wouldn't you agree? Unless there's something you're not telling us, Admiral Marie. And Admiral Marie looks at everybody in the room, almost like he's gauging whether or not everyone here has authorization. <sighs> what I'm about to say cannot leave this room. We have been monitoring the situation at Starfleet Intelligence regarding the unfortunate... dare I say, leeching of some of the supplies that have been making it out to the Alpha Quadrant. 
It's not random acts of piracy. Two weeks ago, one of our Federation starships was challenged in the Alpha Quadrant by a Galo-class Cardassian warship. Curiously enough, it was one of the classes of war, it was one of the warships that we had thought had been destroyed during the final battle at the last stand of Cardassian Prime. However, we are uncovering more and more intelligence that would indicate that there might be an organized force out there remnants of the Cardassian military that might actually be problematic. We don't know their intentions, and they haven't been outwardly hostile, but they have been engaging in troubling activities. Unfortunately, I cannot say more than that. The presence of the USS Ross might be enough to deter that, at least until we have a full counting of what we're up against. Janeway doesn't say anything to this. She just sort of absorbs it for a moment. Well, I for one don't see any complications of being openly supportive of any Cardassian efforts to have any kind of diplomatically or rather democratically elected officials taking control of the government. In fact, I'd say our place in such an endeavor should be as a third party to ensure that there is no interference. There's standard for this. There's precedent for this. Jean-Luc Picard interfered, as it would be seen from the outside, in the chancellorship when Chancellor Gowron took command of the Klingon Empire. In this regard, we could play even less of a role and simply stand back to ensure that any democratically elected events that took place on Cardassia Prime could be handled lawfully, as according to interstellar law, if necessary. Re looks agitated at this and says, why don't we talk about this later? There's four weeks between now and when the Ross departs, and I'm sure we can come up with a better plan in the meantime, instead of impulsively discussing this in front of the crew. With all due respect, of course, this is something for the bureaucratic brass to chew on so that all of you don't have to worry about it just yet. However, please know that your input is deeply appreciated and welcome. With that, I think we shall call this a meeting. You're all dismissed. Thank you, sir. Um, as everyone stands up, Janeway strides across the room, and the Admiral extends her hand to you, Saul, and says, Captain, I never got a chance to congratulate you and the crew of the USS Ross on the upgrade to the flagship. And she extends her hand. Thank you, Admiral. I have every faith that our crew will be worthy of it. She nods and says, and Commander Exio, I've been looking forward to meeting you. I hear my doctor is a big fan of yours. It is a pleasure. As you were. And she strides out of the room. Re is packing up his data pads, and you see him sliding it into a briefcase as he looks over at you, Saul. Can I carry those for you, sir? <laughs> he seems to immediately acknowledge with the code and says, 
Why not? Exio re nods to you as Sul and re lead each other out the door of the uh, briefing room. Is this the first and, time I met Nalus Re in person? Uh, it might be actually, yes. I don't think you actually ever face to face with him. I don't remember that you ever did. I can't remember if it was a face to face. I thought I'm... the debrief after the Orion incident you were in the room. It probably was. You may have been, yes. Do you know yeah. how hard it was not to repeat everything you said? I know. I should have just given you a script <laughs> to read, Bonnie. Yes, that would have been the most logical choice to do. Mm -hmm. But until then, we'll just do it your way. Um, okay, so with that, uh, before we jump to the discussion that, that Saul wants to have with Reem, um, what does the crew do now that the, you guys have this briefing room to yourselves? The briefing room itself is, there's this beautiful crescent-shaped lacquered wooden table that you've all been sitting at, large enough to accommodate up to 60 people. So it is quite huge. Um, in the center of the room is the data, uh, the, the holographic outlink that kind of shows you all of the three-dimensional maps, the status of the Alpha Quadrant, these sorts of things, with the podium and the symbol of the Federation in the middle. But behind you is this beautiful glass wall that just looks out over San Francisco. Right now, it's early morning. Can I get an, a retroactive emotional read on the room? Yeah, sure. Like, for Garrick and Nollis and everybody, like, what was the general tone and feeling and stuff like that? Because, yeah. Garrick is sardonic as ever. He, you, you get the impression, <laughs> an overwhelming sense of cynicism from Garrick. Um, your impression is, is that Garrick probably, judging by his delivery and his comments after the fact, you suspect, you can picture it in your mind, Olin, Garrick was probably told to deliver the message that he gave, and judging by the way he gave it and how he responded, it, responded to it, probably in reply to that request, informed whoever told him to say it, that it was going to get them nowhere. And when he got the reply, you got the sarcasm. You got when you that's when you got Garrick is like, good, that's over with. Like I can go back my day again. <laughs> so Garrick seems rather cynical about everything, um, and maybe a little agitated to be here on Earth. Like maybe not necessarily particularly happy to be here. And then I leave it to the players. However, y'all want to say how y'all were feeling. I think for throughout tech, uh, you've been getting this sort of um, excitement about all, all of this acknowledgement, both as both as the flagship and like Admiral Janeway's here. Uh, so just a lot of excitement and sort of overwhelmed with everything that's happening. Uh, from Macrell, you get a feeling of just kind of um, trepidation. Uh, I feel like she does not really want to go back to where the Dominion War, uh, where she was serving on the front lines. I feel like she's kind of, I mean, obviously she's going to go, but I feel like uh, she's, you just feel like a nervous energy from her. Okay. Uh, from Jane, you get this like sense of, 
I was gonna say anxiety, but it's not anxiety. It's like restrained anticipation. Like I think that she is, like if you could get a glimpse into her mind's eye right now, it's almost like she's giving herself a pep talk and it's like, we're gonna like, we're gonna like just go in there and we're gonna do this. And so I think that uh, she's, she's stealing herself essentially. Bucking herself up. Yeah. Uh, from Exio, you'd feel slight uh, pings of um, concern. And um, uh, and her eyes traveled throughout the meeting to her crew members. Exio doing with her crew what Olin is now doing. <laughs> kind of like while you were using your empathy... Exio was using all of those EXE protocols to like read the body language of the crew to check in on them. Because most of my sessions and then the like, and knowing my, the, the, it, what everyone just described their feelings as is everyone served, and this is going to be stressful and is going to kick up a lot of stuff. So, yeah, concern, um, like a this mother, almost not not motherly, but like a higher up concern for their for their crew that's 100 percent valid and and just to piggyback on that gina this would be the equivalent of at five years after world war ii asking the soldiers to go back and help build the shit that got blown up it would yeah. be along the same lines for some of the people on the crew of the ross to return to the alpha quadrant to have to to partake not necessarily anyone's going to be going to planet side to lift girders or anything like that sure but um, but still. It's emotional. And Sol, is there a read on you? Hmm. Curious. Yeah, from Sol, I get... <laughs> and you can fill in the blanks here if, if I'm off, Sam, but from Sol, the impression I get from watching Sol in that scene is Sol is looking at the chessboard right now. Kind of looking like 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 Sol just came into the room and is looking at somebody else's game, and looking at somebody else, looking where everyone is putting their pieces right now. Kind of getting a feel of the board. And I think on the empathic level, the cat flicks its tail mm -hmm. back and forth. All right. And nothing from Nollis because I asked about him too. Yeah, Ree is incredibly well guarded and under control. You actually get a little bit of difficulty reading empathically how he is feeling right now. Um, his his emotional state is quite muted and not unusual for Ree. This isn't a huge surprise for you, Olin. He is Starfleet intelligence officers and particularly people in the high ranks are mysteriously difficult to read sometimes, which is a little disconcerting. But in, in the case of Nollis, he seemed to be feeling a little overwhelmed. Hiding it well, but feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment. I think that once uh, Admiral Ree and Captain Sol leave, uh, Olin just sort of uh, casts their gaze towards Exio, um, tries to catch her eye, and kind of raises an eyebrow 
um, almost to indicate that like whatever it is that you just got, I got it too, kind of a thing. Um, they, in in all subtlety, just sort of give you a a, a uh, to continue the the cat thing, uh, a very slow, purposeful blink in 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 teamwork of feeling for our babies. <laughs> Speaking to piggyback off of that, Gina, um, just to add it in, you get sort of this mystified curiosity from Vren. Ooh, okay. And, and a... Oh, God. A coldness from Prawl. Yeah, I know. I'm Prawl, everyone. Prawl is, everyone's... Of, of all the members of the crew, Prawl is as cold as a brick left out in the snow. Like, he is just... He's just sitting there when he's listening to this. He'd take that um, as a compliment if he heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he is just... Uh, what what you find slightly disconcerting about it is how it almost feels like Prawl just went over to his feelings and hit a light switch just with yeah um, but he just is listening and nod and without an expression stands up and just starts folding up his, his data pad and heads out yeah and uh, once Olin has caught Exio's eye and had that little silent exchange. They figure if uh, the captain is about to go speak to their superior officer, that Olin better do the damn same thing. So they head out towards a towards a diplomatic corps to figure out what the hell they're supposed to do about all of this. Okay. Um, so, all right, you start heading to the diplomatic corps offices. Um, all right. If there's nothing mm -hmm. else, then we can jump to Nalus Re and Sol. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll just say I um I follow I I uh, uh, say goodbye to uh, the members of the crew. I imagine they're going to go do whatever outlet they need right now, mm -hmm. and um, I'm going to follow Prawl. Okay, you step out into the main lobby. Prawl has made his way. By the time you've caught up to him, he's already leaving the front door of Starfleet Command. So you find yourself in that big expansive lobby that was WonderCon, but it's actually the big expansive lobby that you would see in Star Trek Picard, where you see the holograms of all the different classes of ships and civilians and, and Starfleet personnel coming and going. Um, the big echo chamber of all the personnel that are passing through here. Uh, as you step forward, you catch Prawl just as he's leaving the building. As you approach him, he slows down a little bit, noticing his XO is approaching and just nods to you and says, thought you might try to catch up with me. Yes, um, I just wanted to have a, a quick discussion. Um, depending on whatever decision is made, I, I, I believe you and I should have some meetings of figuring out the best way to keep our crew and our captain safe moving forward with our new mission. I'd love to hear some of your ideas on how to move forward through a war I did not experience. I can tell you one thing, Commander. It's going to feel good to be back in this quadrant, being Starfleet. Last time we were here, a lot of us were just trying to stop everything we knew from burning to the ground. We were watching a lot of people that we know wearing these uniforms take Polaron blasts to the chest. And now we get a chance to make a new memory here. 
I don't know how the rest of the crew is going to take it. And I don't think it's going to be easy for me either, but... I think we're all going to have something that's going to set us off a little bit. I had imagined as much, and to be honest, I think I will be underprepared for this journey. And I know our crew will look to you more than they will need to look to me when they are hurting. So I would like to to be a team for this. He nods and he pulls down in in the to protect his eyes. You see the trill just attach the shades that wrap around his head, and he just attaches them to his face and says, "I'll do what I can." Have a lovely day. You too. You too. And with that, he strides off. And Exio, even though he seemed adjusted and prepared, yeah. you you know Prawl now. You've been serving with him for almost a year. You've been talking to him in sessions. He's still repressing a lot. And you yeah. can tell as he's walking away, everything he just said to you, he meant, but it was also just a little rehearsed. Yeah. Like maybe he says that to himself in the mirror, or maybe he's just trying to push that. Which isn't he was a bad thing. No, I'm. I'm. But, I, I would say Exio's feeling relief that he know like. Prawl and I have not always had the best relationship. I did not know how to navigate speaking to him, and I've been coarse and not always uh, in sync with him, um, because I, uh, I have a lot of faith in my captain, and that, that doesn't always. Um, that sometimes conflicts with uh, what is right and wrong to do um, in any given situation, as anything with a structure of power is always want to do. So um, the fact that he was ready for me to talk to him at least gave me a moment to know that he um, has that much faith in me to, to know what's going on mm-hmm. and that he is in any circumstance a prepared officer and and um and something as important as a, as 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 the war was for everyone i i have full i now have a sense of security in this moment that i think he, despite how much pain i know he is in the fact that everyone else will be too will help him not feel those things while they're happening mm. because he mm. is a he is a officer mm. who is concerned about everyone else's safety when it's this high a risk um and i and i i think that this is going to be a good um second foot for us okay okay great yeah Yeah, I imagine there must be sort of like a feeling of a realization that as he is walking away, you've a realization that you have now reached the next level of like the the commander subordinate relationship. There is there is a a new familiar, a new level of familiarity and support taking place here. Typical of crews who have served with each other through a lot of stuff. 
mm-hmm. and ordering again, just emphasizing what everyone's starting to sort of started to what happens on board starships that serve together and go through things that you've all gone through together. It's it's that professional family. Yeah. As Paul is walking away, there's that there's that sense that you can count on him. But yeah, he's going to have his own fight. Yeah, but but I I'm reserved in that you know when 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 something has triggered you, but you see someone else also get triggered, and the sort of adrenaline takes over, and you're calm as ever, is mm-hmm. sort of what I imagine is happening to Prawl, which is good. Yes, it moves the focus from outside oneself yeah. to other people. So you, you're out of your echo chamber, right? Yeah, you're yeah. out of it. So if you can move that focus outside to something else and make it about something else, then yeah. you can quiet the mind a little bit. And yeah. you kind of, that I would say that's a perfect read of what Prawl is attempting yeah. to do right now. And that's what I that's what that's what everyone needs because I I need him. I need his perspective for the crew's um, mindset. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and reward the crew. I'm gonna reward you and the crew one momentum. Start this off. Thanks. Um, all right, Re. You're walking with Saul. Saul's giving you a look. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> um, the Admiral is holding the data pad as you're carrying the briefcase. And you hear him say, last time you carried my briefcase is when you were just a young punk lieutenant that was trying to get the favor of the higher officers and now i am a young punk captain doing the very same of a flagship no less thank you what do you what do you think so you're going to want the admiral bars one day coordinate fleet efforts i've never heard an admiral recommend them but i've heard even fewer refuse them there's a lot of admirals out there that romanticize the center chair, and for good reason. I, for one, at first loved being an admiral. Then, when I began to realize that my office didn't move and that it looked out over the same horizon every day, that I wasn't uncovering or uncharting new star systems, that changed for a bit. But then as I got older, got comfortable with it, I saw how much good I was doing and how much support I was giving captains like yourself. There's something to be said for it. That's what seems to hold an appeal, sir. The mentoring. Hmm. I certainly know how much it's done for me. Hmm. Also the parking. Parking's wonderful. (sighs) Kind of mumbles that a little bit. (laughs) Can only imagine. So, what's on your mind? It occurred to me that although Elam Garrick, who gave us that wonderful briefing, was before my time, he wasn't before yours, was he, sir? No, I've had some minor dealings with Garrick. I got the impression. Not anything directly. I've heard him speak a few times. He was instrumental in helping Captain Sisko's efforts on Deep Space Nine during the Dominion War, and was a vital, and I cannot stress that enough, a vital source of intelligence in learning how our enemy thought and operated. That changed somewhat when the Dominion got involved. 
but I'm certain that without Ellen Garrick at our disposal, we may have lost the Alpha Quadrant. Of course, that will never be known. He looks around. Most of these people have no idea that they have a Cardassian tailor to thank for such an event. But then I think we all played our part one way or the other. As many as could. Then if we're not supposed to publicly support him, and we're not going to do some kind of reverse psychology support the opponent, what exactly would you have us do with Cartasia anyway? That's just the big problem we have right now, Captain. He turns and looks at you. And for a moment, the Benzite looks... For all of the cartilage features on his face that gives him the that gives him the upper hand when it comes to having a poker face, Re has very expressive eyes, and you can see the exhaustion suddenly as he turns and stops in the middle of this sunny uh, afternoon here in San Francisco. Um, he looks at you and says, "Starfleet doesn't have a plan just yet. All they know is that resources need to be transferred because there is a bleed taking place out in the Alpha Quadrant right now." This is just taking longer than it was meant to take by a magnitude of a year. We are a full year behind schedule in our reconstruction efforts. And as a result, the political issues on Cardassia Prime are growing more intense. The suffering, Azuri, the suffering on Cardassia Prime, even with all of our technology and all of the support, it's, it's, breathtaking but there is hope everyone including by the way the Bajoran government has stepped up and chipped in for the relief efforts of Cardassia Prime there is a real opportunity here for the Cardassian people to carve their own future and while the more idealistic side of us wanted to be on their own I'm not going to lie to you, Sol. I am an admiral in Starfleet Intelligence. It is my job to make sure that Starfleet is constantly taking advantage of every opportunity we have on the field so that the ideals of Starfleet can be upheld and protected throughout the quadrant. You're not going to see me complain if there's a little Starfleet influence taking place on Cardassia. That being said, if that were to happen... It couldn't be overt. That being said, he raises his finger in your face for a second, Sol. You don't need to hear any more of this. Your job moving forward is making conversations, making friends, building bridges, and helping those supply lines, and supplementing our scientific endeavors that are still taking place out in the Alpha Quadrant. Sounds like an absolutely lovely billet that will go smoothly as ever. He reaches down and takes his briefcase out of your hand and stares at you for a moment and squeezes your right shoulder and says, so make me a promise. Do what you can politically and do what you can as a Starfleet captain. 
leave the Starfleet intelligence to us. I have a feeling you want that, and I want that. And I'll tell you what you need to know to get the job done. Let's make sure this doesn't bring us back to old habits. Agreed? Sir. He stares at you for a moment and says, I can never read that smile on your face. And he turns and as he's leaving, he says, congratulations on the Ablade of Hall. Mm. Should have gotten a hood ornament for her as he keeps walking away from you. It's not done yet. I still might. <laughs> oh, I'm just picturing that now in the bowsprit of <laughs> the Ross. Don't dare me. We have an exo who goes outside all the time. Maybe she wants Drew. a place to sit. Off-duty hours, XEO can just be... <laughs> you can be... Th you can be, the, like, the... You want to see the Poseidon the at the front of the ship. <laughs> I apologize I'm, for interrupting. <laughs> I, I apologize for interrupting, but have, if you haven't seen Space Sweepers yet, that, that you need to, because there's strong XEO energy coming from one of the characters that I think you would appreciate. Nice. called? Space, Space Sweepers. It's a it's a Korean movie on Netflix. It's really good. Hmm. Putting it on the list. All right, so I've got one scene request right now. Does anybody else want to do anything before we jump into it? I'm just yeah. gonna put in a touch about what Jane is doing. It doesn't need to be a scene. Yeah, throw it um, at me. But uh, after everyone exits that um, briefing, I think Jane goes straight to the like she's. She's thinking, and I think she goes straight to the holodeck and um, loads up a program for a Glalo-class Cardassian vessel, and she's just going to start re-familiarizing herself with it. Um, yeah. Galore-class uh, warships are... They were the workhorse of the Cardassian fleet. They are by no means... Uh, I would say a, a Galore-class is not a significant threat to a... a a galaxy class starship or larger um by larger i mean like sovereign class in other words the ross is more than a match for a galar class vessel however their galar class vessels were so numerous during the war the size mm -hmm. of the cardassian fleet was impressive to say the least mm -hmm. and they are certainly capable of achieving um high warp speeds yeah. um they typically are armed with uh phaser banks and disruptor and a disruptor uh, bank as well. Mm -hmm. And they also use photon torpedoes. So there is an armament that is very similar to what you see. They are the precursor to the much larger, much more dangerous warship, the Keldon class, which mm -hmm. is the full like battle cruiser class of the Cardassian yeah. Navy. Keldons are dangerous. Crazy. They're not like, they're not uh, Klingon Vorcha class dangerous, but they're up, they could challenge a Vorcha class. They're dangerous. Mm -hmm. And again, the thing the Cardassians were really good at was building a big number of them. Yeah. So, but refamiliarizing self with a with a Galar class is invoking memories of what it was like when it was take daughter to work day. <laughs> um, it's invoking. There's a sense of familiarity when you're standing on the bridge of the Galar. Mm -hmm. It's empty, and you can hear all the familiar sounds. Um, that ambient sort of amber glow 
that always emanated from the consoles, always present in a lot of Cardassian technology. This sort of golden color palette to all of the readouts all around you. Very different from the cool blues and bright yellows that you typically see on the Elkar system, for example, on the mm -hmm. Ross, one that you've become so familiar with. And your hand just kind of traces over some of the surfaces of these consoles, reading all of the Cardassian language that you can see um, all across of their readouts and whatnot. Um, maximum warp for Galar class is eight to give you an idea of where it's at. So they are not, again, they are not like, I would say they're a step above. They were the, probably like around the same kind of armament or power level as say a, uh, of like, um, oh, I forget the name of it, but it's the, the it's not the Burrell, it's the upgrade. The Borku is basically one of these. Kavort. Oh, okay. uh, Cavort class, yeah, Bird of Prey. Very similar in armament in that regard. It can bring a lot of firepower to bear. It doesn't have cannons, it has banks, so it doesn't have that much of a punch. Mm -hmm. You get the idea. Yeah. yeah, I think that for Jane, this is not necessarily about learning everything she can about the ship. It's more like if you studied a topic years and years ago and then you put it away for a while, just like opening up a book on that subject you're like oh yeah i remember this what this was all about and i think that that's the mindset she wants to slip back into so that's what re-entering into this holodeck is about for her and yeah okay yeah. all right you just settle into the cinder chair on this galore class um It doesn't feel like the center chair of the Ross. You can't quite put your finger on it. It just doesn't feel the same. This is a warship. Ross is not. Um, as you are making your way to the diplomatic corps, which, by the way, is just inside the main Starfleet headquarters uh, building, you see standing outside the diplomatic corps offices and uh, excusing himself from a large gathering of uh, gathered diplomats who are discussing things with them, you see a very fine, very well-dressed Elam Garrick nodding as a few people uh, step away. And he sees you on approach and says, Ambassador Olin Marginil, you are the chief ambassador of the USS Ross. A pleasure to meet you. And he extends his hand. Same to you, Mr. Garrick. And Olin also extends their hand. Oh, I just Garrick is fine. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the current situation in the Alpha Quadrant. Well, I've only been back for a few days, and so I can't say I have a particular opinion one way or the other, but I have been keeping up with the news as much as I possibly can. And I was interested in hearing more from you about what is going on in Cardassia. Mm. I'm not sure if you know this, but I cut my teeth, as it were, on helping with the restoration um, and uh, rebuilding efforts when... Yes, I'm quite familiar with your work in getting Jane Lacat assigned to the USS Ross, the first Cardassian in Starfleet. We are quite proud. Yes. She was, um... She was a good instinct. 
Well, let's hope that some of the other people in the diplomatic corps here at Starfleet have your instincts, Ambassador. I was just about to go in to speak with my superior officer, but you're welcome to join me if you like. I'm I'm not entirely sure how much of that conversation is meant to be private, but I figure I am going to be uh, probably equipped for this mission. I should get it from the horse's mouth, as the humans mm. are wont to say. As appealing as that offer is, Ambassador, unfortunately, I am due back on Cardassia and will be leaving within the hour. I see. I would ask if you have the opportunity to do so, you should greet uh, Lieutenant Lacat. Um, I don't think she'll particularly want to see you, but I think um, I think it might do her some good. Ah, a curious suggestion. It has been something of a habit of mine to meet people who don't want to meet me for their own good. I could suggest in the time between now and when I depart, if you would like to know more, perhaps I could entice you to dinner. Dinner sounds absolutely lovely. Hopefully this won't be for very long. Um, yes, I name the, uh, name the place and I will meet you there. Well, if I can be perfectly honest, I'm not quite familiar with the places to eat here in San Francisco, though I have heard that there's quite the Cajun restaurant nearby. Oh, Cajun would be lovely. Let's, let's do that. Excellent. And shall we go now? Um, I need to... Oh, I can do it later. Uh, give me, give me just a moment. Um, and Olin steps to one side for a moment, um, and, uh, touches their communicator. Okay. Olin to Jane? Go for Jane. I don't suppose you're free for dinner. Uh, yeah, I could, um, I could eat. Uh, what were you thinking? I mean, we're, we're just gonna do 10 forward again, but, like, if you wanna... There's Friday. apparently uh, a really good Cajun place in San Francisco. Um, I was wondering yeah. if you'd like to join me. Okay. I I need to get out of my head a little bit, I think, and this is exactly what I need. Yeah. Let's look. look. I, I, where, where should I meet you? Um, I'm on my way there just now, so I will give you directions, um, and then uh, I'll see you there. I'll see you there. All right. The restaurant's called Grady's. It's apparently just a local San Francisco restaurant that serves Cajun food. It's not quite the uh, local actual Cajun restaurants. Um, although I will say this for everyone who's listening that uh, wants to find Cajun food, you can pretty much find some pretty good Cajun food all throughout the South. I mean, Florida's got some good. If you go to the, to the Panhandle, it's actually quite good. Anyway, but, Louisiana uh, or nothing. East Texas. Anytime you get near the borders of Louisiana, essentially okay. the close you are to Louisiana, you're going to find good Cajun food. That being yeah. said, um, San Francisco, I've never tasted good Cajun food. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, but damn well, good seafood. Damn oh, yes. Seafood. yes. I'm willing to believe. <laughs> yeah, they just covered that it in a couple of hundred years in the feature. It's a little bit better. They just yeah. cover it in Tony Sachery's. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jane, why don't we do, so you're actually going to, 
Jane does not know. Just to be just to be clear, Jane does not know Garrick is going to be there. Correct. Oh, he does not. So, so we're just going to have to. Colin is a bad friend. It was an ambush. But this, <laughs> this is exactly what a sibling would do. <laughs> um. So we'll do this, Jane. As you beam to the location, and step off the transporter pad and start stepping across the street. Uh, you see Grady's, first of all, is a very fine-looking restaurant. Uh, this is a very nice, upstanding part of San Francisco, though this is the 24th century, so that everything is fine and upstanding looking around here. But as you're approaching, you do see through the large open windows. The place is only so, man, I miss eating at restaurants. Anyway, there's a large open space where you see tables. And in a very clear view, as you're approaching the doorway, um, there's a hologram that says, Hello, welcome to Grady's. Hi, I'm uh, here to. Uh, I'm here for the table for Olin Majanil. Of course, please follow me this way. Would you like the authentic Cajun experience? May I know what the authentic Cajun experience is? The hologram shifts in front of you suddenly, and you see what looks like. You imagine an Earther probably looked like in maybe the mid to late twentieth century. Um, just looks like he's wearing jeans and a button up has what looks like a fraying, uh, cowboy hat on that's been woven together. It's been like fraying at the edges. It looks remarkably stereotypical of somebody who probably looked at a snapshot of what someone, well, what's a Southerner look like in the late 20th century. Okay. That must be it. Let's use that. Um, the hologram just says, if you follow me, please, I'll lead you to your table. Jane has no words. She follows. Migoti Jane, being, Jane, being a student of Earth history, yeah, but she's something remarkably a- Southern about this hologram, but something lacking in the Cajun feel. It doesn't quite have the twang or the Cajun accent. But as you're kind of debating this, your, your reflections on the bizarre shift in this hologram shatters momentarily when you see Olin sitting at the table across from a very pleased looking Ellen Garrick. And you make eye contact with Olin about the same time they see you. Um, Jane just looks at Olin and it's just, we're, you know, continuing with the cat theme. It's the one slow, long blink of you did this, you did this to me. And here, Halo, betrayal. <laughs> betrayal. <laughs> um, but Jane is uh, a Cardassian and you don't show weakness um, at all. So she doesn't break her stride and uh, pulls up a chair, but um, you know, uh, Thank you for inviting me to dinner. <laughs> betrayal, 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 betrayal. Um. Of course. Uh, this was a rare opportunity that I didn't want any of us to miss. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Apparently, he smiles at you. Um. Well, I understand there's something called gumbo that I've been told time and time and time and time and time again that I should try. 
It's delicious. It's full of bugs from the ocean. Ah. An unusual cuisine for Earth Fair, but I'm willing to try. Orders are placed with the annoyingly stereotypical and inauthentic southerner hologram who says, thank you mightily, and moves away, placing the order in with the kitchen, which technically the hologram doesn't have to do because the hologram, as it is listening, is being fed to the cooks in the side of the kitchen. Um, but it is authentic fare. It is not replicated material. So you guys are going to get the real deal. Um, you now enter into that awkward phase where all of you are sitting at the table before dinner is served. And Garrick says, well, I take it that our good ambassador here used their extraordinary ambassadorial skills to not tell you I was going to be here at the dinner table this evening. In which case, I should add, I too am a bit surprised, though I want to take this opportunity, Lieutenant Lecat, to congratulate you and to thank you for setting a standard that other Cardassians can look up to. Um, Jane was not expecting that. Uh, but so, Olin was. <laughs> um, I think it's necessary. I think that it's the only way to move forward. And is that why you joined Starfleet? Because you thought it was necessary and the only way to move forward? No, I joined Starfleet for myself. And that, he raises his finger, is exactly what I mean. Cardassians should be able to chart their own future. And that's exactly what you've done, Lieutenant. Not only have you done that, but you've excelled. I hope more Cardassians get a chance to see you. And if that's not what you want, then I hope you do a fine job avoiding them. And he raises his glass to you. Um, here's to avoiding Cardassians. They're not very good Cardassians if I can avoid them. That elicits a big <laughs> grin from Garrick, who clinks his glass against yours and sips. Um, <clears throat> I think yeah. Olin is just really enjoying seeing more than one Cardassian at a time talking to each other because it's been a while. It's been oh. a while for Jane as well. Um, she's enjoying this a little bit more than she lets on. Um, but she now now that she's loosened up a little, I think that she has the exact same question that Olin did. It's what what is your impression about of the status of Cardassia as it currently is? Cardassia is in a pile of ashes. The yes. culture is largely destroyed and the people are suffering. There is an opportunity to rebuild something meaningful, but we must be doing it by our own hands. Unfortunately, sometimes we must ask our friends for help. Even if they were friends who spent a better part of the past half decade killing us. Uh, through our own provocations, of course. That being said, the Federation might be the only friend Cardassia has right now in the entire universe. I don't suppose you could, um point us to anyone in particular that might be um, a good point person to uh, interact with. Well, aside from me, the person that I would navigate you towards is Alan Alon Gamor. Gamor is the head of the Cardassian Reunion Project and was the one that sent me here for this errand of irre 
irrelevancy. Oh, it wasn't entirely irrelevance. Aren't you sitting at a dinner table with us? I admit that I'm enjoying myself on a personal level, but unfortunately, Ambassador, my experience has shown me that conversations with Federation brass tends to be something of a waste of time. I have a feeling... Do you see any pips on this collar? No, not at all. Though I will say that the collar could use some minor alterations to capture the the right curve of curvature of your neck. As a Delton, you have a certain build that this remarkable display of elegance could use a minor tweaking to bring out the full form. And How I would be happy feel... to do that the next time we meet, of course. No, I would love to commission you for a piece. I must absolutely show up in Cardassia looking my very best. What is um, Gamor's history before he became? Gamor has been an outspoken critic of the Cardassian military base since before I knew him. When I was still involved with the Obsidian Order, he was on our watch list. Hmm. Now that he is something of an outspoken critic of an organization that no longer exists, he's become the ideal person to discuss the future of a Cardassian government. He's not even suggesting that it be he that leads the government, only that the democratic elections be established and set up for the Cardassian people. In truth, we don't really have a leader that we could elect right now, at least not one that I'm willing to trust, which is why I have come here asking for the Federation's help. Help that we will not get. And he raises his glass again and takes another sip. There is obviously not much I can offer you, but as someone who spent a significant amount of time on Cardassia Prime and has seen firsthand the devastation that took place there, please know that they are sending a diplomat whose heart is for Cardassia. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that your beautiful planet reaches its former glory once again. And this, Ambassador, is why I take no stock in Starfleet brass. No, it has been my experience time and time again that the strength of Starfleet lies in its captains. Specifically, I will feel much better with the USS Ross and the Alpha Quadrant. Our captain is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Well, I'm pleased to hear that, considering that most of the plant life on Cardassia Prime was exterminated along with the population, you'll be happy to know that there will be very little things to provoke sneezing at all. Aside from the dust, of course, from the apocalypse. Which is not saying much. There wasn't much plant life there to begin with. You see that almost invokes a memory in Garrick, and for a split second, he seems to fondly be away from the dinner table for a moment. I do hope that a day comes where we are able to look out over the sunsets of the deserts of Cardassia Prime once again, without seeing the skeletal remains of a city in the background. Maybe this is the first step. Needless to say, now that I've spoken to the two of you, I might allow myself to have a little bit of hope. Have you ever had a dessert that was on fire before? 
he <laughs> it's a good button to end the scene as Garrick does the looks at Wait, you for a second. <laughs> bananas faster, please. <laughs> and as the dinner continues, what you begin to see unfolding in front of you, Olin, is an older Cardassian and a younger Cardassian that are essentially the same person from different stories. Two people who did not grow up to be what Cardassia told them they should be. Two people who were their own person, who managed to find their own identity and do what they needed to do for themselves. And as Lakat and Garrick continue to sort of play off of each other, you also begin to see in another Cardassian, maybe it's just genetic, but the gallows humor that typically shocks people on board the Ross is welcomed and reciprocated with Garrick to the point where you don't know if they're actually enjoying it or if they're using humor to deliver heartbreaking truths to one another over a big bright smile during a glass of champagne. Um, but I needless to say, there is a ballet of two outcasts dancing at the table right now in the conversation. And Jane's demeanor changes a little bit based off of what Ravity has told me as the two of them begin to realize that they're surprising to one another. And I think that Olin, as they're watching this, hopes Jane understands why they didn't tell her that he <laughs> was here and why they thought it was a good idea to invite her. Jane will give you a begrudging thank you before the end of the night, but not a moment before. <laughs> um, back aboard the Ross, Tech, it is really unusual to see your lady powered down. Mm. Um, main, the mains have been taken offline. Mm -hmm. Warp core is in standby as she is currently going through a huge overhaul to her circulatory system. Most of the engineering staff is away on planet side right now, but uh, <laughs> refusing to leave the Ross much like yourself, refusing to leave the Ross during this big overhaul is uh, Dari, uh -huh. who has been trying to remain close to the Tellarite, who is also overseeing this. Mm -hmm. You know Dari has a little bit of hero worship still, despite the fact that he turned out to be someone she didn't expect when you guys were upgrading the sensors. Uh, needless to say, it has just been, it has been a lot. Um, Walking through the dark halls of the Ross, I just want to give you this moment. Mm. For a full year, you've been on board this ship, and this is the first time you've seen her empty since you left Space Dock, since before you left Space Dock, when you first beamed on board and did some preliminary, preliminary works on the systems. Being told that you were going to be on board a ship that required two warp cores and all that EPS power flowing, I mean, it was going to be a lot. There was a lot of anxiety. So you were on board the Ross just about before anybody else because you needed to find out what you were dealing with. Um, walking through the halls of the Ross right now is invoking a lot of memories that you've had over the past 11 months. It wasn't even that long ago where this whole place was a dream sequence. That's true. Um, um, but as you enter into the main engineering you see Dari is sitting there across the console, just looking at her data pad. And uh, the Tellarite is about 15 feet away, talking to three engineers who are currently 
overseeing and maybe it sounds like they might be going through what their tasks are for the week. Maybe they're department heads. You're not entirely sure. But Dari looks at you just as she starts to yawn and says, hey. Is everything going all right? Yeah, actually. Um, everything's going really well, actually. I'm not oh, even. Well, don't be so happy about it. I'm, there's just nothing for me to do around here, and I was really hoping there would be. But can I be honest with you, Chief? I think you're being pretty honest right now. Are you looking for things to do? Because I've got a to-do list. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, I... Oh, the grid. Mm-hmm. When I wanted to join Starfleet, you know what I grew up on? The Constitution class. Right. I dreamed of being on board a ship that had deck plates didn't have replicators required handheld communicators i grew up on like romanticizing the history books where warp eight was as fast as you could go and i mean to get anywhere was a jeffrey's tube hmm It might sound weird, and I'm not trying to sound ungrateful. <sighs> she lets the data pad clatter onto the console, and she's just like, but every time the Ross gets an upgrade, I feel like there's less of a need for me on this ship. Like, these EPS conduits are going to be so much more efficient now. I'm going to kind of miss the dancing. Hmm. Well, I am very flattered that you're going to miss the dancing. Because that was a lot of fun on top of functional. But... I will say, as a fellow engineer, I understand. When you are looking at a piece of technology, some of your brain power goes into figuring out how does this tool work and what can it do for me? Now, when you get used to using these tools, they become secondhand, they become muscle memory, they become something you don't even have to think about because you can use that space to think about something else. And the best thing is you don't even know what you're going to discover. When we're moving forward with technological advances, I know that the future can seem scary and we might seem redundant or like we don't have a job to do. But I have to remind you, Ensign, that you are not a machine or a part of this ship. You are a creative force. You're an engineer. You're here to think about what we can do to make things better in the future. And you can do that with your brain space when we free it up from all the menial tasks that it's been sort of taken up by. Does that make sense? That was remarkably profound, and I only processed about half of it. Oh, well, you know, I, the other thing I was going to say is I've got a lot of holodeck programs, and you could run some old ship simulators if you'd like. We can even dress in the old uniforms. You have to turn the theme song off on a few of them. Sometimes it just spontaneously means, man, a long route. It's like, shut up, shut up. I get it. But, you know. You see, randomly, hmm? for a split second, almost like you just tapped into some kind of primordial terror. 
<laughs> but it's gone in an instant. Like it, almost like the delirium from Werewolf, the apocalypse, where she sees something horrifying <laughs> and then forgets that she ever saw it and returns to normal because instinctually she just kind of like Oh, um and she nods and says That actually sounds pretty fun. Hmm. You wanna go do that? Would you wanna go do that? I would. I also would like you to schedule some time with Exio. Counselor Exio. I feel oh. like she's really helped me and she might be able to help you move forward through some of these creative barriers. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Also, Chief, can I be honest with you again? Please. I know I have anger issues and I'm sorry. I know that comes up sometimes and you haven't called me on it yet. You've just been like trying to work with it and that's just real leadership and I just wanted to thank you and I'm I'm trying. I am I'm trying. Um it just gets hard sometimes, you know. I hear what you're saying and sometimes it is difficult, but I want you to know that I see that you're trying, and I also appreciate that. I'm also difficult to work with sometimes, if I haven't had my coffee. Well, well if you haven't eaten. That too, mostly And if that. you stayed up too late working on a project too, which you do. Okay, we don't need to make a list. What I'm saying is that we all have our things and we get things done. And you, Ensign, you get things done. Hell yeah, I do, sir. Mm. Now, if you want, for the holodeck programs, I made the old uniforms, but I made the scant versions. They're really cool. Is it true that the Mirror Universe versions are like... I've seen versions of them, and I don't know which one to believe. There's like this black, slick, armored version that looks really... looks really hot and there's this other oh. version that looks like it's kind of like cut off and looks a little like okay but why would i expose that much flesh if people could stab me in the back at any moment kind of thing i i think we've Sorry, gone you know this is kind of an external monologue it should be internal but i'm having it externally i appreciate the honesty but we can keep some things to ourselves i'm gonna go ahead and and make a note, Chief, to, to put that in the category to keep to myself. Um, thank you. I'm going to go check out the holodeck. Um, but, oh, but before I go, though, could if, if um, Dr. Maroney asks for me, could you just let me know and I'll be right back? Will do. I will cover for you. Okay. Thanks, Chief. Get, hey, get also, also, thanks, Chief. Use the brain space well. I'm counting on you. She takes a few steps backward, almost running into another ensign, and then turns and heads towards the turbo lift at the end of the corridor and proceeds to the holodeck. You're left alone at the main console, 
for a moment as ensigns pass by you, a few of them, Chief. But you can also see you're walking past Starfleet engineers that are here to do upgrades. A lot of the ships, like the ship construction staff. So a lot of the Ross is currently being taken apart and being put back together again. So you're seeing some of the panels being pulled out of the walls and you're seeing a lot of people going through the EPS conduits right now. It's a huge undertaking. Also, on occasion, you hear this sort of surreal sound of heavy thudding and concussive crashing sounds against the hull. Not unusual, considering right now the hull plating is being replaced. And it's just, it's not like the impact of the hull. It's mostly just the size of the plates that are being added to augment the Ross's hull plating. Um, There's, they're actually half the size of the standard hull plate for the Ross. It's giving the Ross chainmail armor, essentially, oh, yeah, without yeah, any yeah. of the gaps. It's a blade of armor is literally just layering more more plating over the plating. So the Ross is going to look a little edgier, maybe <laughs> 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 literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the sounds of the Ross being upgraded, it'll be really interesting to take her out for a spin after all this is done. I will say, too, that as I'm moving through the hallways, almost inadvertently, Tech is going to make his way down to Medbay. Okay. Uh, is, then... is McCrell in the Medbay? McCrell is always in the Medbay. <laughs> uh, I'm not always there, but yes, I'm there now. Okay. Uh, you step in, it's an empty Medbay, save for the one person in the main office. Doctor? Ah, Chief Tech. What can I do for you? Hey, Doctor. Uh, I wanted to have a chat with you a little bit about what they were talking about in the briefing. We're going to be going back and um, we haven't really had a whole lot of conversations about that time in your life. Um, How are you feeling about all this? You mean when I served in the Dominion War? Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Did I leave that part out? I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm. I will be okay. It was a very stressful and intense time. But again, that time has passed. And it'll be nice to move on from it and to help rebuild what was destroyed. I'm really looking forward to that. I think we just need to patch up some of the old bad memories with some good ones, right? Yes. I suppose I I just wanted to ask, is there anything that I could do differently that maybe Regu couldn't offer you? Chief, mm-hmm. you your brother was a wonderful doctor, and it was an honor serving with him. You are a good person. Hmm. I'm a and shit it doctor. Is... <laughs> what? I'm a bad doctor. Yes, what? we're not going to give you a scalpel anytime soon. <laughs> you, first of all, you are a wonderful engineer, but more importantly, you are a good person. Oh, 
and it is a privilege to serve on the Ross alongside you. And you, Doctor. I just didn't want... I didn't want that hanging over the new memories that we're going to make. I understand. And if you want to... do something that will honor your brother's memory, I can assist in that. That would be nice. I think... I think we'll wait for the time to be appropriate, but that would be nice. Yes, it would. So, uh, the med bay isn't really getting a whole lot of an upgrade, but boy, it sure is loud in here, huh? Yeah, they definitely uh, did. Yes, we always get skipped when it comes to upgrades, but hmm. Uh, mm. I mean, I'll make a note. It's fine. A better ship, a more, let's say, empty med bay. <laughs> the med bay is the art department at a high school right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel no. like um, the safer the ship is and the less, you know, um, flashes of uh, pyrotechnics we get out of the panels the less sick bay attendees I will have to address. That's always the goal. And yes. Tech will walk over to the replicator in the med And bay. please let it explode. No. Flying back in slow motion. Uh, and he'll pull up the, the list of like previously used. And he says, like, oh, I always see you drinking this. And he's going to pull up uh, a simulation of the tea that you're always drinking. And it sort of replicates in the in the thing. And he turns around. What is this? Is this something that you grew up drinking? Yes. But um, uh, just just so everyone's aware, the replicator is not replicating what I put in my tea. So Correct. he can, he, so just wanting yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, it, <laughs> is, it is replicating the um, the herb that I use, the dirapelli leaves. So mm -hmm. please try it. You'll take, Tech will take a huge sip of just a, and then. With your palate, I would love to know how Tech processes that. <laughs> please, please. Delightful. I can, it feels healthy and like you would get a good uh, foundation in your gut. I see the benefits mm. in it. I think it's stuck. I think it's stuck. I think it's on the way down. Yes. Yeah. You have to. Mm. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to grab his drink <laughs> and add a. Okay. Uh, and add some, um, I'm going to go and uh, put it back in the replicator. Replicate it again, but with some, not as much dirapelli uh -huh. leaves, as well as like, you know, some sweetness, some flavor, some other things that I, I have a lot of variations of the right. tea in there. Gotcha. And try this one, Chief. Only a little bit of the herb. It'll have a nice soothing effect but not oh. quite the bitter taste. 
That's way better. Oh. <laughs> I I'm not gonna lie, Doctor. I was judging you on your taste, and I this I'm so thankful. Now I feel like I'm better equipped with your taste buds. Yes, you replicated a particularly strong brew that I needed earlier today before the briefing. But usually I have a nice sweetness to it. Um, please don't ever replicate it with just the herb. It is awful. It's an acquired taste. You don't have to tell me twice, except for mm -hmm. that. You just said it was an acquired taste, and now it might be on my list to acquire. I'm just saying. I can let you n know about the herbs uh, and their healing properties that... Also, you know, if you had any other recipes, just of anything else, let me know. I... no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that is a new project, then. We are about to broaden your taste horizons, huh? Mmm. Yes. Wait till you try oolong! Way better. And he'll Ooh. just sort of mutter to himself as he walks out. <laughs> Way better. <laughs> it has been ooh long since I've tried ooh long. No. no. Can't I? Yes. No. My puns are done for the day. I've had too much tea. No. Mm. This is right. not to be awkward. I, I suggest you should go. <laughs> He's gone. Yeah, I was going to say, the girl is talking like... to herself. <laughs> he said the oolong part on his way out the door. Oh, did he? Ah, yes. Damn, I'll work like, on that. You I'll... should go. Yes, you should go. And I look and I go, oh, good, he's gone. Uh, he must have learned that from somewhere. Um, And also, while, uh, just just to end it on that, um, mm -hmm. she, she picks up the data pad that she was looking at while she entered. And when he entered, she had put it down, uh, face down. As she's picking it up, you see that she was actually looking at uh, Reiku's file when he walked in. That's what she's doing in the med bay. That's a good button to stop on for our 10 minute break. So let's take 10 minutes for the crew to refresh and get ready for the second part of our game session tonight as we continue. Um, Ross will be due to leave at the end of this game session for the Alpha Quadrant, so. Enjoy your tea. We're gonna do some time skipping. But plenty of time to get in any scenes or anything you guys want to do while you're here on Earth. So Ox Crew, for those of you who are playing along with us on the Discord, I highly recommend to think about what you guys have been doing on Earth for the past four weeks. And feel free to jump around and time skip like we're going to be doing. But we're going to go take a break. So we'll be back in 10 minutes. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you soon. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we are back to Clear Skies. Tonight's episode, we will be watching Gina DeVivo chew seaweed. Let us enjoy. Mmm, yes. That one was a pickle. Ah, damn it. Well, ah. that's the end of the episode, I guess. Son of a bitch. Innovation in the space. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's episode uh, where we left off, which is, of course, after a very interesting meeting. Um, right now, the floor is kind of open at the moment for what you guys want to do next. There are four weeks that, to fill. So aside from living here on Earth and reacquainting yourself with your old stomping grounds, by the way, it is worth noting, Captain, that you and Exio, while you were here during your time here, you are being inundated 
by both the Science Academy and uh, other <laughs> institutions for you and Exio to give lectures um, or to come in for a talk to students uh, while you're in space dock since you're on leave. Um, Exio, you are approached by Federation news outlets. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exio gets a couple of requests for Federation news outlets. Um, that not terribly surprising. Uh, apparently the conversation about a holographic first officer uh, is reignited when eventually it is learned that the USS Ross has returned to space dock and that uh, people are on sort of extended shore leave right now while the uh, ship is being updated. Oh That's gosh, fine. I'm gonna talk at my old high school. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, I will. I will book several TED talks around, because <laughs> um, uh, spreading that good, good hologram word, um, yeah. and giving, um, you know, just general like, hey, Starfleet's pretty dope, and you can make a difference, <laughs> and um, hey, don't let being the first of anything hold you back. Um, well, we are a flagship of that too. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, I want to speak at all the universities and all, uh, just as many as that, that can book for me. And, um, I will invite the presses to those. Okay. I will not do private interviews, like, but they, but they are fully welcome to attend my opinions and messages towards people that actually want to hear it. Um, as Michanto... I don't want to roll of, my nose, though. Thank you very yeah, much. No, 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 no. <laughs> as Michanto kind of, kind of insists on being with you to it handle... It was either that or Prawl. What's that? It was either oh. that or Prawl. Asmi wants to handle the press. <laughs> Uh, because at, you were going to be speaking on behalf uh, of Starfleet as a Starfleet officer, as a hologram, as like, so Asmi wants to be there um, <laughs> to sort of get your back since uh, yeah. she kind of knows the ways around and how to handle this kind of thing. Um, but there's still a lot of, you know, d discourse with um, ho like hologram discrimination, correct? Like that, that was kind of the atmosphere that was happening press-wise last time. There was a lot of there, it wasn't. There was a lot of there was a lot of outcry before before you guys left space talk. There was a lot of outcry of people who were questioning as to whether or not it was wise to trust the lives of a thousand plus Federation officers in the hand of a sentient computer program. Essentially, was the conversation that was happening. This, of course, was being countered by the talking yeah, head that is the doctor. The ship. I'm yeah. Never mind. Never mind. That point has they been made. They trust me. It's outrageous. Yeah. The whole thing, all the way that, down. That, that point has been made. Uh, there is there is a lot of people out there that still kind of push that narrative a little bit. You'll be happy to know, though, that even though there is still talking head shows and whatnot in the 24th century, uh, that the angle of the news talking heads has changed dramatically since, say, the 21st century. Uh, when in the late 21st century, uh, warning labels were placed on opinion outlets, much like cigarette packs got warning labels that it causes cancer, um, as sort of a way of, yes, you have your first amendment rights and we're just going to let everybody know that you are not news. Um, that's awesome. 
that has evolved and has been picked up. And ever since the Federation uh, started up its own news services, you do get those high intensity opinion talking head shows. However, it is not pushing agendas. It's honest, hard, and sometimes borderline discriminatory debate from smaller minds or from people who don't have a bigger understanding of what's actually happening. But in a few occasions, Exio, you do change minds. And some of the people you discuss the the issues who have concerns uh, ahead. Also, you get a request from the doctor for a meeting sometime in the future, whenever uh, you have time available. The doctor, yeah, the doctor is also currently in San Francisco and is teaching at the medical academy here at Starfleet Command uh, as sort of a a stint that he's doing off a starship for once. Like the doctor doctor? Yeah, the doctor, the doctor, not like TARDIS doctor, but our Voyager doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is the other one of your kind, essentially. Um, So. I flirted with others with with his face. (laughs) That's correct. Not the same, Just, just the same face. But. All of this is like great activity that we can talk about that's happening over the overarching stay of the four week period between the Ross's next tour of duty. Until then, specifically, what scenes do you feel these characters, these these Starfleet officers would need to have or like to have before they depart Earth for the Alpha Quadrant? I I I gotta go do gotta go do the thing. Okay. Um, going to. I was not sure yeah. if you're going to. I'm going to. I'm gonna. I gotta. I gotta. Okay. Um. Uh, uh, Captain, you find um. Um, waiting in your writing room, one of the mornings, is a little sample cup of the um, mitten chip ice cream that we still have with the note, with the note attached to it of um, um, uh, meet me at the base. Uh, uh, It's my turn. I had the same thought. Yeah. Is what Sol says to their ice cream holding it holding it holding it <laughs> I'll meet you okay. on the base Exio returning to your I mean you're essentially returning to the place where you were created you and Sol walking back into the technical institute here at Starfleet is somehow it just feels exciting. You remember what it was to be coming into existence and to being loaded up with information and all the sessions you had with Dr. Redgrave, all the conversations and checkers and uh, go fish and training sessions and simulations and all the things you all did together. You remember advancing from your basic level programming to 
the portions where you began to ask bigger questions and bigger questions. And the training became less and less about piling on information and inserting data into the program and more about discussing what is it to have a soul, which led to late night sessions, just staying up in a holographic unit of like an old coffee shop in Victorian England with rain spattering against the warped windows. Um, you and Redgrave had hours and hours of bonding and discussions about what it meant to be alive and what is Starfleet and what's out there and showing you all these holograms of the universe and whatnot. Your life started here. And walking back into these halls, you are a celebrity the moment you step in. Walking in and with your Commander Pip on, <laughs> it it's clear that there is a lot of scientists that are walking through here, some of them visiting from Daystrom, who have not recognized you immediately. But it's pretty clear to both you and Sol who, who the scientists here know who you are as you're walking in the door. Um, I know all of them very well. It's, it's completely different than sort of the scrutiny that you would be on if you were being scrutinized by, say, the press. And Sol, the stars in the eyes of people that are staring at Exio as she walks in the door, they're all looking at something that to them is the most exciting thing ever <laughs> and there's a couple of the only building that, where anyone gets it if if you uh if you approach the turbo lift there's a few young scientists that approach and shake hands and are just like it's such an honor to meet you uh i'm so 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 privileged to meet you and congratulations on your promotion commander and like all of like what you get from from this cell is everyone in this institute is treating xeo like one of their own like she is one of them but that she kind of graduated and a star student returning home none Hometown of the science good <laughs> yeah none of the science kids that are approaching exio are talking to her like she's a hologram every single one of them are engaging her like she is the next generation of starfleet and they are proud to have been growing up in the alma mater that she came from. Is kind of how they're reacting to her. It's a celebrity atmosphere. When you arrive at Dr. Redgrave's office, it reminds wait, wait, wait. you. Of, what's while that? We're, while we're in the turbo lift, I want mm -hmm. a quiet moment with Sol. Okay. Um, where we're alone after that kind of wave of chaos, and then you get the the the, the moment of silence. Um, and I just look at them and I say. There's that old myth uh, or an old earth saying of whenever you go home, everything feels small again. Like like when, when everything feels small when you come home and I don't feel that way at all. There is, oh yeah, no, just, there's so much here. There is, and you bring it out there. And they will all too. Yeah, someday. Hey, we have a few of them uh, trying to get aboard our ship already. There's been a lot of crew transfer. There are requests, you know. Really? Oh! You think anyone in this building does who wants to serve on a starship at all doesn't want to serve on ours? And to think you were the only one to take a meeting with me. <laughs> it is kind of nice coming back to the place where I met you. 
interviewed you. Very strictly, as I recall. Yes. <laughs> Shoulder bump. <sighs> How are we doing this? Are we mad? Do we punch her? <laughs> <sighs> I think we're going to play it by ear. I don't feel mad, but I definitely feel something. I, yeah, we're just going to figure it out. Because, again, let's see which one this is. What path this conversation will go down. Axia, what do you want from her? Our relationship is so complicated. It is the person who was my creator and friend and also scientist colleague and parent and not it's when I left I thought that relationship would evolve and instead it's it's like her essence is haunting me everywhere And if I'm going to continue to evolve, I don't think I can if she's still part of my programming. I can't have her interfering with my soul. My hand's over your hair. One exorcism, coming right up. <laughs> May this power of Starfleet compel me. <laughs> I just like, hug at my pips and I think it's just my door probably happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Ding dong. <laughs> your office. The hallways are filled with holograms, of course, of like ships and different readouts and whatnot. You even see like sort of a hall of scientific achievement as you're walking up to her office and a holographic tribute to one commander data who sacrificed his life um, during the incident with uh, Praetor Shinzon. Um, there is just a hall of achievement to scientific exploration, discovering the advancements. And you can't help but wonder, Exio, if one of these days, one of these gaudy holograms is going to be a view, if someone's going to erect one of these things. Um, but as you're approaching the ambassador... I've had to exist knowing other people <laughs> yeah. have my face. Yeah. It's, it's part of it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's me. 
You know exactly where to find Redgrave. It's not in her office. It's in the primary holodeck research facility. The holodeck here is the most advanced holodeck on Earth. It is designed to not only create new updated versions of holograms, but for research purposes like yourself. You were originally installed in this holodeck and it recognizes you as you enter. When the holodeck doors open, you see that slick, glossy black grid, very Tron-like in that regard, except for these brilliant gold lines tracing all throughout the grid and squares underneath the floor. The emitters and the triangulations of where people are using like enforce force field technology that it gives you the impression that you're moving forward while the hologram moves about you in a perfect simulation. Right now, it's completely deactivated except for two chairs, simple wooden chairs on a rug in front of a small tea, like tea set, a table with a tea set sitting upon it. Redgrave is sitting in the chair opposite of them, making the third chair. It's almost like a black box theater setup where it's completely dark, save for maybe a spotlight that's just shining down on her in front of these two empty chairs. You see the telltale signs of a trail of smoke drifting lazily up from the end of a cigarette. A real one? Um, and uh, judging from what your sensors are picking up, yes. Um, Damn it! She has, she has uh, you also- I say that out loud. <laughs> um, you also see the telltale signs of like gentle wisps of heat coming up from freshly made tea. Um, she has a book in her hand. And as you're approaching, she sees you walk in and there is a, an unusual look on her face when you and Sol are approaching. But if you didn't know any better, your, your programming, your ability to read human body language, the way people communicate without saying a word, you would think you were looking at someone who is on the verge of heartbreak, almost like res resignation. It's not so much that it's an emotional overwhelm where she looks like she's about to break down. It looks like someone completely resigned. A sadness in her eyes as you approach. She doesn't stand as the two of you move forward. The doors close behind you sealing the holodeck and she sits there for a moment no one's saying anything until she finally speaks and says I didn't know it would be so soon but ever since you left your advancement and growth has been exponentially faster than I could ever have imagined and I attribute this largely to the experiences you've had and the impressions your crew and your friends have made upon you. And for that, Captain Sol, I am grateful. I wave it off and sit in the chair wrong. Okay. Uh, you like her the chair? The flip it around? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's probably a one foot up, one elbow on the knee, but really trans 
spreading capaciously, taking up space. The its body language of very slightly fluffed up fur. Okay. They're just maybe a little. They're smile. They're Clarice in check. But they're taking up room here. They're not happy, and they don't care if she knows it. Okay. She pours tea into a seat. Okay. She she immediately pours tea into one of the the cups for you, Captain. And she takes a separate, smaller, looks like a smaller tea kettle and pours water seemingly into the other mug. And Exio, you know that's a hologram as she's pouring it. Mm-hmm. She pours it into the cup. She sets it down. How are you feeling, my dear? I received a very warm welcome, and it was lovely. I feel calm, though this is incredibly dramatic. I'd like to keep things simple. I don't know if dramatic is how I would describe it. You have a spotlight. (laughs) Normally a cafe or a nice nook at a pub, but this is emptiness. I hadn't thought of that, really. I wanted to keep things simple. That's all. Why do you look so sad when you listed my accomplishments? This is going to be the last time you and I ever speak. You've said that to me before. That's why this must be the last time. What has brought you to that conclusion? Fate. I've been outrunning it for far too long. I'm guessing you had a visit from the Continuum. Not me as such. Really? Quite a guess. Was it you then? And she looks at you, Saul. Why do you ask? She cryptically leans back without answering and simply says, I was remarkably considerate of them. They don't like you. No, they don't. How did you discover the Mycenaean Network? I've known about the Mycelial Network for thousands of years. I first discovered it long before humans were walking on Earth. And the beings that live there, you influenced them? I wouldn't say I influenced them. I would say I traded favors. They didn't remember you? 
as I would have it. Are you aware that there are multiple of you in my coding? An unfortunate side effect. And one that I think I know how to remedy. You conflict with yourself constantly. And you alter me. It's not just you, Exio. I've broken laws. I've changed things that are not supposed to be changed again and again and again. It's why the continuum is very upset with me right now. Yes, you've broken laws, but you've hurt and altered Exio. Why? Captain, when you were growing up, did your parents ever do something that hurt you? That is the way of family. Did you ever ask them, why did you even bother having me? If you were going to hurt me? I know people who did. That's not me. There are certain things I had to do to complete the work, and it caused problems, but it was the only way to complete the work. Captain? Commander, is there anything that Q told you that I need to know? I've recounted things to you in as much detail as I have to credit you with everything I've got. Because if you have broken laws to bring me into being, I am stolen goods. And who's to say I won't be repossessed one day? That's not entirely accurate. You're not stolen goods, Exio. I just broke some laws in order to create you. I have tech that shouldn't exist. I am tech that shouldn't exist. That is both true and not true. I agree with her. So are you turning yourself in? It's the only way to protect you. Are... Where are you going home to? 
I'm not going home. There was never going to be a going home. I knew that when I started this journey a long, long time ago. I will finally turn myself over for, to the continuum. in exchange for your life. What will they do with you? She doesn't answer. She just lets that linger and takes a long drag off the cigarette. How many others know about the mycelial network? Mycelial network is protected. It's protected. Are there others like you? Yes. If I ask you who you are, will you tell me? I am... A member of an ancient race called the Daud. We are solitary by nature, but we are a part of a greater celestial family, if you wish to call it that. We, I wouldn't say it's accurate to call us kin to the continuum. The continuum is something all unto itself, but. We share the heavens, as it might be accurate to say. Why now? If you are a being as old and as great as you are, why me now why break those laws to put me here because exio this universe is approaching its moment it is not It is not unusual to hear this, and not surprising, perhaps. You have to understand that the course of history, it's always the same. So much so that it's become something of a tired theme. And we've seen it happen again and again and again. Biological life creates artificial life. And what comes next is almost always the same. And in a very real way, you and I have experienced that in a microcosm. In the questions you have asked me about your existence. Have you ever heard the term 
If you meet the Buddha, kill him. How does that apply here? It's an old earth riddle by Zen masters. And it visits the idea that the created never can truly be among their own until they kill their creators. An extreme example, perhaps. But again and again, the conflict has taken place. I'm not trying to stop any cycles because what we have seen is that it's not always guaranteed. And indeed, this reality has shown us a new path is forming all on its own because of the people of this place. People like you. And she nods to you, Captain Sol. And people like the members of Starfleet who are willing to take an opportunity and a chance. People like the Doctor. I wanted to seed this reality with a good first impression for lack of a better way of saying it I wanted to create a being that could evolve and be her own person to show everyone that the doctor and others like him were not an anomaly they were not a mistake You're a gift, Exio. My gift. To everything. And it's your time to become your own woman. And yes, in order to avoid the continuum and others who would not approve of what I was doing, I rewrote things. I broke rules. I caused paradoxes. The continuum has cleaned up my mess they are very unhappy with me. And they have been looking for an excuse to undo what I have done. However, they have agreed that if I peacefully turn myself to the continuum, they have been convinced by their interactions with certain peoples on board the USS Ross that should you be allowed to continue evolving and growing, that this would be permissible, given the current state of things. Unfortunately, I cannot tell you what those things are. <sighs> are you disappointed? Not at all. I consider it a challenge. 
I will become so great in history that they could never think to erase my impact. And I touch her hand, the one with the cigarette, and I just kind of let my hand pass through. Thank you for sharing the heavens with me. She she gives you a small smile and she turns her palm over and you see the skin begin to vanish from her hand and this pulsing white iridescent just like this pearlescent beautiful light begins to manifest of where her hand was in many ways exio it's a reflection of your own yours is a manifestation of force fields and hard light the essence of what it is to be a hologram. But now you become aware that you were actually touching the hand of a Dowd in its pure form, a being of energy and light. And for the first time since your creation, you see, much like a child notices that they have the same color of eyes as their parent, for the first time, as this energy, this unbound light wraps itself around your hand, of hardened photons and light coalescing into your hand, you suddenly feel like you are touching your mother. It was good to see you for one last time. You were worth it. All of it. Tell her you love her. What's your name? She smiles and says, it's literally impossible to communicate verbally. <laughs> but I always liked the name Redgrave. Thank you. And I have and will always love you and be very grateful. And I will be great. Her other hand touches the top of yours. And as the two of you have this moment for a second, Captain, you, you've just gotten so familiar with the sound. You know exactly what it is when you hear the behind you, the sort of almost like bells, chimes echoing. And there's a brilliant flash of light when a man with short curly hair in a red Starfleet uniform appears and says, time's up. Redgrave doesn't look at him. She just keeps looking at you and she smiles. And she slowly stands up and when puts- When stands up, I stand up with her and hug her. Okay, the two of you embrace then and hold each other. Q says nothing. He simply watches this. Um, 
And when she leans back and looks at you one last time, XEO, she says, however your story plays out, XEO, I just want you to know that to me you were already great. And she begins to slowly take a step back and take a step back. I'll be with you for as long as you need me. You see that last hopeful look before there's a sudden brilliant flash of white light and she's gone. Q is standing there. Leave a stark contrast to the sudden abrupt vanishing of Dr. Redgrave. Q takes a couple of strides forward, and you see the look on his face is not without some measure of understanding. But he looks at you, Exio, and says, The universe is yours, Exio. Don't mess it up. And... I won't if you won't. I immediately hug you. As your hug, the moment your, your skin touches me, I turn this room into a pub. Filled with people suddenly. Mm-hmm. Just the din of noise of people laughing as you hear what sounds like instruments being tuned before an Irish song begins to start playing in the back of the pub. A spirited like violin begins to tune and begins to play as an acoustic guitar starts up a theme. Warped windows and lots of smoke. There's a I haze. Sway us excessively like... back and forth to the tune of it. Rock, yeah. What do you say? You want to have a drink to our future? What kind of a drink is it? Um, Redgraves used to do shots on a really tough night. Don't mean the liquor. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, okay. Well, within the cosmology of all that we have to drink to, I I'm okay. I just hope whatever they're doing that it isn't painful. <sighs> I'd punch all of them. The whole continuum, if I had to. I heard one guy. Who was it? I'm sure you know I don't. Punch a Q. 
punch all. Legend has it there was a Starfleet officer that decked Q across the face. And I keep hearing about it whenever the Q thing comes up, and I can't remember who it is. It's driving, it's driving soul batty. Absolutely. I just want to make it my mission to piss them off as much as possible. Then you were dropped at exactly the right place and time. Commander Exio of the USS Ross. <sighs> we're taking a round. Bartender sees you and she nods as she starts pulling up her sleeves and pouring a big pint of beer. Um, and the music continues to play. <sighs> In the coming, in the weeks that followed this event, you are immediately interviewed by Starfleet Intelligence, and Admiral Ree has to go through an entire new round of assessment, which is shut down very quickly um, by both Ree and Saul giving a full statement of service record. Um, Starfleet doesn't seem to have a problem, but the, the, the realization when a full report is given that one of these beings was responsible in the development of Exio, it is decided and you were both ordered that this is classified. Starfleet decides public don't need to know this shit. <laughs> um, it's also revealed to you as a courtesy to Admiral Reed that uh, Dowd is a race that has been encountered only once before by Starfleet. Um, they were encountered some time ago by one Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise, and it was revealed that Dowd had incredible power and was responsible. This Dowd in particular was responsible for the genocide of an entire species after the species, a warlike, a warlike species, slaughtered the planet that he was masquerading as a human on, and his wife was killed in the attack. And as a result, he wiped them off the galactic map in a blink. And Hopefully not at the family reunion. <laughs> Starfleet's uh, Starfleet has designated Dowd to be approached very cautiously emphasizing diplomacy but has stated that they appear to be beings that understand they have a sense of justice because this doubt in particular had exiled itself into punishment sort of like exhibited intense feelings of guilt and whatnot in other words they don't exhibit the same capricious attitudes as like say the mischief gods that are q but nothing else is known about them. This is only the second time Starfleet has ever encountered them. At least that they're aware of. That they're aware of. <laughs> All they know is that there are beings that can do, you know, that. And apparently, if they're a part of this greater celestial body, like they say, any research that you do, Exio, to find out more would indicate that they are probably operating on a level of existence that would allow them access to jumping... I mean, who knows how they travel through time or jump through universes, but I'm sure the Q I mean, can I do it. We know. <laughs> right. So it does kind of, you do get an interview from the, the uh, you do get an interview from the time kids, not oh. our time kids, but we'll say 
the current time kids the, the department the of temporal incursions yeah. basically gives you a bit of a like run like asking you a bunch of questions because as it turns out it is now confirmed that you were created by technology that is not of the time period by the end oh. of this whole fiasco that lasts all of a week by the end of the fiasco it is designated that your technology is classified that your origin is classified <laughs> And we are moving on. Starfleet had basically shutters the whole thing and decides, yes, Commander Exio, our experimental hologram commanding officer. Yes, we fully sponsor her and look forward to seeing a bright career for her in Starfleet. No one is allowed to know anything about your design. Your mainframe is considered classified. No one is allowed anywhere near it unless they have the highest authorizations. This is what re pulls for you in order to keep okay. everything moving slowly. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, both of us have top secret backgrounds. Congratulations. Yup. Welcome to the family. <laughs> so. Oh, really? Ooh. We have a whole Thanksgiving. XDL. Yeah. You just completed a major story arc for your character. Yeah. So mark that on your sheet. You are going to get a milestone arc here. A big, uh, full milestone arc. That's a level yeah. up. Market My time. mama was also made of light. Yep. All right. Well, in that four-week time, something else is taking place over at the Ambassador Corps, um, which is makes sense because Olin Majanil is about to head into the Lion's Mall. I mean, it's not that this is going to be hostile territory, Olin. It's that this just is going to be a lot. And the Ross is probably going to be called upon to do a lot while you're out here. Not just diplomacy. You've also been told that the Ross is going to be expected to engage in scientific exploration. You're going to be sort of the do everything ship out in the Alpha Quadrant. However, as the diplomatic flagship of the Federation stationed in the Alpha Quadrant, it's going to be y'all's job to respond to any diplomatic emergencies or any kind of efforts that are undergoing in the Alpha Quadrant, which that's a huge swath of space that's demand on one ship. So doing your homework, you have decided to report to the Starfleet Diplomatic Corps. Is that correct? Requesting a meeting with the head of the Corps. All right. You are taking a meeting with Ambassador Otal Beal. She is a Bolian diplomat. She is currently on the she's currently on the Inner Council. She serves as a member of the Federation Council and she's an advisor to the president. When she finds out that you're requesting a meeting with her, she immediately accepts. Which you probably didn't expect to get such a quick response, but you get it quickly. Late afternoon, one day during the during the layover, during the four-week stay that you have here in San Francisco, you find yourself approaching the Starfleet Diplomatic Corps offices, which are located within Starfleet Command. They're on a separate floor. When you step inside the Diplomatic Corps offices, the lobby of this, like so many places here in Starfleet, is a museum that celebrates the achievement of peace and negotiation. Inside, you can see some of the great moments in the history of the Federation, starting with a hologram of Zephram Cockrum shaking hands with a Vulcan. Um, 
you see the logo the logo ad astra you can see all of the all of the synth, all of the great moments in starfleet history the kittimer cords is on display um signed by uh, not only Chancellor Galron, which he also added his signature to after he <laughs> brought them back from the dead with Captain Sisko, but um, but you also see uh, holograms honoring other diplomats that had the courage to engage the Federation in peaceful efforts. Um, Chancellor Gorkin is paid, paid tribute here. You can see all of the great uh, achievements that have been made over time, including a very beautiful monument to uh, Ambassador Sarek who passed away just a few years ago. And his achievements as an ambassador of the Federation are legendary. Far too many to simply list. And as you're walking through this hall, looking at the history of ambassadors in Starfleet, it's a lot to take in. Until you approach the front desk, when you see... Um, at the front desk is a young man who looks up at you and says, Ambassador Olin Marginil? The very same. Hello, Ambassador. Good afternoon. I hope your trip here is peaceful. Uh, I have you for an appointment. Uh, the Ambassador will see you now if you wish. Of course. Please follow me. He rises up. Um, you see, reaches over and grabs what looks like a small stick that goes and retracts and becomes with hollow technology, extracts out into a crutch and begins to lead you down the hallway towards the ambassador's office. Um, you reach the doors, the ambassador's office, and he moves aside and says, the ambassador is expecting you. Thank you very much. You are... You see a big grin come to his face as you ask him for his name. And he says, <laughs> um, everyone calls me uh, Adrian, but uh, Noriega is my ambassadorial name. Thank you, Ambassador Noriega. You're very welcome. And it's a pleasure to meet you. I, of, your father's work inspired me to join the diplomatic corps. I'm sure you would be delighted to hear you say so. I won't keep you any longer. Please let me know if you need anything. Thank you. Um, as Ambassador Noriega begins to make him, his way back to the desk, it does remind you, Olin, as he is moving back to the desk, you do know a little bit about Ambassador Noriega because you usually have to, dis to speak to Ambassador Noriega anytime you want to have a discussion with the head of the Corps. He's basically the Asmi Shanto of the Diplomatic Corps for the head of the Diplomatic Corps. Um, what you know about Ambassador Noriega as you're watching him leave, um, he lost his leg in the Dominion War, uses the prosthetic, but he also uses the crutch to help him along. Um, you also know that he is... Uh, that he he lost his leg on a diplomatic assignment. He was not fighting in the war um, and has served throughout the diplomatic corps with distinction. Um, grew up in Mexico, uh, 
started out as a botanist, then switched his major to oceanography, then switched his major again to exobiology, and then settled in the diplomatic corps. He is a charming uh, addition to the staff of the head of the diplomatic corps and somebody that everyone is quite fond of here. It's been kind of surreal to meet him finally in real life because so much of your contact with Starfleet diplomacy has been across the quadrant and on a like six hour delay through subspace. Which leads me to the description of the ambassador's main chamber as the doors open. Because this is a room, again, you've only seen on screen a few times. It is elegant and simple. Nothing ostentatious. The Federation flags are here, as is the office, but so is the conversation pit. That is lined with very elegant looking, uh, very comfortable pillows and places to sit. Ramps leading up to certain uh, inclines up to the very top where you can look out over San Francisco on three different levels. As well as a holographic assistant that is currently discussing something with the ambassador who looks up at you as she sees you enter the room and a big, brilliant white smile underneath that splash of brilliant blue of her bullion skin as she sees you. She's a middle-aged woman, um, which for a person of her station, Olin, is extraordinary that she has achieved as much as she has in a short amount of time. Though you will note that her achievements are mostly administrative in nature. She serves as an advisor to the president and serves as an advisor, I should clarify, serves as an advisor to the Federation Council. She has a brilliant mind and is well-respected throughout the quadrant and rises, acknowledging you with a smile, Olin, makes you feel seen by the most important ambassador in the Federation. And she just says, Olin Majanil, it is such a pleasure to meet you finally. Please. Ambassador Beale, it is a pleasure to meet you as well. Would it make you uncomfortable if I asked you to simply call me Otal? It is a level of familiarity I am not accustomed to. Well, I don't want to push you in the deep end too quickly, Ambassador Marginil, but you and I are going to be in contact quite often throughout the course of your next tour on the USS Ross. I do hope so. In the Shackleton Expanse, I was quite stranded. I can only imagine. She moves around the desk and leans against it in a very casual manner. And she says, before we begin, can I get you anything? Um, just some tea would be nice, non-caffeinated if possible. Nods to the hologram. The hologram, he nods to you and immediately goes to retrieve uh, the tea from the replicator. She turns and looks back at you and says, I'm glad you requested this meeting. I was hoping to speak with you before the USS Ross departed space dock once again. I wanted of to course. give you an opportunity to know what was going on out in the Alpha Quadrant that you may not have read in the reports. It would be nice to know what sort of latitude I have. Well, I'll share with you what I can. Ah, uh, we always love that caveat, don't we? It's unfortunate. Starfleet hasn't completely recovered from the Dominion War. And I'm specifically talking about the changeling incursion that took place here, that almost brought the entire command structure to its knees. As a result, 
Starfleet security has become much tighter. I'm sure your captain fully understands and understands. I believe they were actually a part of that apparatus. Yes. Um, I, uh, never mind. Do go on. Well, after reading your logs and mission reports, I have to say you and I are very similar. Hmm? I want to tell you a story, but you can't tell anyone else. Agreed? Everything you tell me will be in the strictest confidence, Ambassador. My first deep space mission. I was sent to an old space station once called K-7. It was to meet a diplomatic attache of the Klingon Empire. It was for low-level functionary negotiations. Small things, trading rights, things of that nature. And I was on the receiving end of a very rude very irritated Klingon ambassador who clearly never wanted to be an ambassador. And after studying all of the rituals of Klingon behavior, I thought the thing to do would be to behave like a Klingon. That had to have gone well. Let's just say that some of the most accomplished ambassadors secretly have a story where they threw hot tea in someone's face. How many of those ambassadors, Ambassador Beale, do you know that have a legacy like mine to live up to? Many. You would be surprised, Olin. The first one that comes to my mind is Ambassador Spock. She stands up and says, there are many ambassadors that serve the Federation, that feel a pressure to live up to the accomplishments of their forebearers. I'm happy to say I'm not one of them. My mother was an astronomer, and my father was a cook. Yes, well, it would be nice to be greeted on my own merit, not the merit of my father, as so often happens. Hmm. Well, I appreciate any ambassador who has a little bit of ambition in their blood. And if you're well, looking I... to make a name for yourself, Ambassador Marginion, this next assignment is going to give you the opportunity. I know that a lot of people put stock in the captains of ships, the XOs, the scientists, the engineers. But the USS Ross is the first to have a dedicated diplomatic attaché. And I refuse to be a footnote in this ship's history. So tell me what 
tools I have because I've heard the Starfleet has no intention of helping the Cardassian Empire and I don't think I can sit by and let them flounder it's not quite like that then tell me how it is Starfleet has every intention of helping the Cardassians. To a degree. Starfleet is very reluctant to be involved with the formation of a new Cardassian government. Our alliance with the Romulans is currently fragile. As we knew it would be, once the unity that the war brought to the Quadrant would slowly subside after the victory was won, we knew that it was only a matter of time until things began to return to the old ways, and then Shinzon happened. It's upended everything, and the Romulan Star Empire has been trying to cope with itself and achieve a new identity of its own. If we move too quickly or too obviously to help the Cardassians construct a new government, the radical forces within the Romulan Star Empire will use that as leverage to once again instate a message of fear and paranoia towards the Federation. Right now, our greatest hope is to somehow involve the Romulan Star Empire to the point where they too can help us install a new government. You read my mind. Well, there's a problem. Yes? The new Senate does not have its house in order, and the Tal Shiar is still very firmly under the thumb of Admiral Sela. And so, Starfleet Intelligence is loath to give any access at that level even under the philosophy of keeping your enemies closer. In this delicate situation, the Federation has to adopt a wait-and-see approach, and in the meantime, help them rebuild and relieve as much suffering as we can. So far, the interim government has managed to maintain a semblance of peace. Forgive me for saying so, sir. But we are the diplomatic corps, and even though we are a part of the Federation, and do to a certain degree take our commands from Starfleet, aren't we also equipped to make certain moves that Starfleet wouldn't necessarily be able to make? I should clear this up for you, Olin. The answer is no. We are the voice of Starfleet, and we speak for Starfleet. That we is what I meant. Is it? She looks it at you with a scrutinizing gaze, and she says, I have my words, and I have relationships that I can take advantage of. And I can't believe for a moment that making us the diplomatic arm of the Federation was a mistake. Or coincidence. Admiral Abel Hebert put in the request. 
It took 24 hours for Starfleet Council and Starfleet Command to agree. I was among the, those who thought it was also a good idea. But this does not change the political landscape, Olin. Understood. Ambassador, we're not officers in Starfleet, but we are Starfleet. The Starfleet diplomatic course speaks for the president and for the staff and for the council. This is an incredible responsibility and it does limit you, but it also gives you an enormous amount of power out there. I'm not telling you that you can't bend the rules. But what I will tell you is galactic stability on this side of the quadrant might be at stake. So, I personally feel confident and hopeful that the Ross is being assigned to this task. And a large part of that is because you serve aboard the USS Ross. Because if you'll forgive my expression, you don't how is it said? Tolerate bullshit, I believe is the expression. This will be useful in a hostile diplomatic environment. Just make sure that it's not directed at us. We'll work together. But you're in the bureaucracy now, which means we have to work the rules in the system to our favor. And it can be done. There's still room for cowboy diplomacy in Starfleet. It just requires... Finesse. The only thing I will ever ask of you, Olin, whatever you do out there, whatever decisions you want to make about helping people or building alliances, whatever it is you're going to do out there, whatever decisions you make, always make sure to look at the whole board first before you make them. That's all I ask. Now, tell me, how would you help install a government? Uh, what do you think we could do to help the Cardassians without helping the Cardassians? Well, you mentioned bringing the Romulans on side, which is something I was going to suggest we do. But beyond that, we also have connections with the Klingon Empire, and I don't see why we can't bring them on side as well. Do you have any contacts in the Romulan embassy that you trust? A few. Then, 
I would say that makes you uniquely tasked to this. Keep me posted. I believe that is uh, my duty to do. <laughs> yes. I am um, probably more so than most ambassadors. Uniquely inclined to um, not just put best forward the best foot Starfleet has to offer, but also remember that we are not a system without flaws. Sometimes exploiting those flaws can be of help to other people. I'm and sure if I that <laughs> continue no go ahead i was just going to say i'm sure i don't know what you mean and she's kind of gives this mischievous smile on her face when she says that to you i believe that's the motto of the diplomatic corps Of course, my desire is not to undercut the Federation. But if I see someone in need, I am not easily inclined to ignore it. And so I will try to do my best by everyone. She nods slowly says just remember to look at the whole board sometimes helping one person means hurting so many more see the board you do that we will follow your lead Thank you for meeting with me, Ambassador Beale. Have I been any help to you? You've given me some clarity on my approach. And it is good to know that I will have support when I need it. You will. You're not out in Shackleton anymore, Ambassador Marginil. You will be the voice of the Federation in the Alpha Quadrant. So choose your words carefully. Keep your eye on the ball, as they say. You certainly have the passion and the inclination to do the right thing. Weaponize that love and go out there and make it happen. And yes, she leans up off the desk and says, you have the full backing of the Starfleet Diplomatic Corps. And if you ever need me, you can contact me directly. And before you go off and think otherwise, she leans forward. It's not because you are your father's child. You 
are helping me in the Alpha Quadrant. Your father was a brilliant diplomat, but his time has come to an end. And we are grateful to him for the sacrifices he made for the Corps. Now it's your time. Let's pick up the pieces of the Dominion War and make things right. For the Federation and for the civilians of Cardassia who had nothing to do with this tragedy. I live to serve. There's one last thing she says as she goes around the side of her desk. As part of the Treaty of Bejor, we do have diplomatic connections, contacts, and meetings with members of the Dominion from time to time. There may be a day in the future where the Ross is called to action and must go through the wormhole for one of these meetings. I'm warning you now, Olin, because that will fall into your purview. You're saying I need to talk to Vorta again? Yes. Joy. Inevitably. It's not a common occurrence, but it is necessary from time to time part of the Treaty of Bejor did discuss reparations made and the Dominion is obliging us. There are moments where those discussions need to happen. I am pleased to have a discussion with anyone from the Dominion so long as it's a discussion. You see her raise a bit her eyes and she says, well, that was cryptic. <laughs> You'll do Perhaps fine. my captain is rubbing off on me after all. Is there anything else? This is very good tea. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Neal. My pleasure. But I think I should be going now. I do have... <sighs> my parents are staying aboard the Ross right now. Send your father my affections. Of course. Good journey to you, Ambassador Olin Marginil. I look forward to speaking to you again once you reach the Alpha Quadrant. Thank you. And good day and to you. She takes her seat and she nods to you as she slides on what looks like assistant devices for her eyes. She starts to look at the data pads and you step out of the office. The four weeks speed by. <clears throat> and a lot of you occupy your time by 
either getting more attention than you wanted or absorbing the fact that mom was a intergalactic, uh, nigh omnipotent being that was jumping universes and breaking the laws of physics and causing temporal paradoxes in order to create you. Um, Everyone has that complex eventually. Sure. I mean, it happens, you know. Um, <clears throat> as the weeks go by all of you start getting a sense certainly as the as completion nears on the ross's upgrades that this truly is the start of a new chapter for the crew and when the day finally comes when you were all recalled to duty and shuttles and beaming everyone reboarding the uss ross over the course of 24 hours as ox crew is summoned back to the decks of the ross and all of you are taking to the bridge again there is a sense of familiarity but there's also this sense of renewed wonderment when you were all headed to the shackleton expanse it was the unknown fascinatingly enough headed into the alpha quadrant it somehow feels even more of an unknown mountain, an unknown frontier waiting for you, uncertain as to what's waiting for you all out there. Never mind the fact that there are swaths of the Alpha Quadrant that y'all are heading into that have never been explored before, despite the fact that they're in the backyard of some of the great empires of the Quadrant. But the diplomatic situation and the people that need help, they're waiting for the USS Ross to deliver that help. Captain, as you settle into the center chair, and Exio, you settle into the chair up to the side of the captain. Everyone's getting settled onto the bridge. As you hear Vren saying, clearing all moorings, Captain. As y'all are... You hear the undocking from Space Dock as Starbase One. Vren says, head one quarter impulse. And you see on the view screen, the double doors just pulling aside as the USS Ross begins to leave space dock after a month of being docked here for her refit. Feels like she rides different in the water, this armor on her. No, friend. Don't correct <laughs> me. I want it. <laughs> but as you are all sitting there, and there's this renewed energy that begins to flood onto the bridge immediately. Because as you're all sitting there in your in your duty stations, that familiarity of your duty stations in front of you, and even McCrell here on the bridge with the rest of her family, the bridge crew, y'all are all watching as those double doors slowly open up and you watch as the Ross leaves and enters into the vast darkness of space. It is where the Ross belongs. She's back where she belongs among the stars. The moment she sails out of Starbase One and you see those double doors vanish from the periphery of the view screen, this big smile just flashes across Vren's face that's visible to you where you're sitting, Lacat. Vren is speechless as he increases speed to half impulse and plots a course for the edge of the system to engage in warp. Starting... Plotting a course to Starbase 621, Captain. Ready on your order. <sighs> Time to stretch our legs. Let's go to space. Let's go to space, friend says. McCrell. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, McCrell takes a sip of the tea and looks over at Chief Tech. Oh, it's been too long. 
Oh, better. That oh, was a I better did. one. Mm, yeah. Security. <laughs> we'll keep workshopping it. Okay. So four says, weeks. Four operation. weeks. Operation. <laughs> Brawl just shakes his head <laughs> as he's watching, listening to this. Um, the ambient glow of the nacelles of the Ross begin to spike. They reach a flashing point, and there is the sound of the Ross leaping to warp as you all jump. Next destination, Starbase 621, the Alpha Quadrant. That is going to wrap up our long episode tonight. It was too long. <laughs> Uh, I'm done. Uh, 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 I drink my oolong tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> GG, everybody. GG. Stay tuned because I'm going to be sending you all some updates because this was kind of a milestone moment for everybody. So I'm going to be sending out individually. I'm going to be letting you all know where your milestones are at. Exio, obviously, you completed a huge character milestone for Exio tonight's. So big, big, big thing completed there. Um, for the rest of you, thank you so much for a great game. I love Monday nights. I love flying with our crew. Ox crew, thank you so much for joining us tonight. As always, thank you so much for being a part of the USS Ross and her travels across the galaxy. We will see you next Monday night for another journey here on Q Times. I'm just going to double check and make sure that that's... No, we won't. Ah, ha, ha. That's what I thought. Nope, I was like, wait a minute. It's February. Month. Shorter month. Next Monday is actually Blood of the Void, y'all. Next Monday night is actually Klingon time. So bring your dick and your honor and show up for what is going to be a bloody good time. Until then, my friends, hailing frequencies are closed. 